השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, great to be in Miami, in a special סוכה, ברוך השם, is the uh, special סוכה, מהדרין of מהדרין, ממש, very impressive how you guys built the סוכה, got all the פונות, wood, everything, it's, I think this is safer than my house, the סוכה, ברוך השם, so it's, uh, ברוך השם, very, very good, you know, it's a, we're talking about it uh, last week, how uh, there's a problem with Sukkot. Uh, a lot of people are buying these uh, Sukkot. Uh, one, I have one of them. Uh, where uh, it's the easy ones. They're, they're like Legos in essence. It's these poles you put them together. And uh, the problem is that um, the traditional way that people have been using for, for years is putting the, uh, uh, the I guess, uh, different fabric around it, which technically, according to the Gemara, in Masechet Sukkot, it says you can use technically anything for the tfanot, anything for the sides, as long as it doesn't move. As long as it doesn't move. But the problem is that they move. They move. If there's high wind, which sometimes there is in, uh, in Florida, uh, and they move, then it's not kosher. So a lot of people don't know this. I actually only found this out uh, this year. Uh, I only found this out this year. And uh, what happened... It's a little bit of a uh, problematic issue as far as uh, these Tfanot, when they gave him the models, when they showed the model to Rav Ovadia, they showed him a model of the sukkah before they launched it to sell it. They showed him the model, but they showed him a small model. You know, you don't bring a whole sukkah. You bring a little, you know, one foot by one foot sukkah, a little model you put on a table. And in the model, the strings don't move. So Rav Vadia said, oh, it's no problem. And, uh, but then when they built it, later on they found out, hey, this, this is not the same thing. They move. In the model, they didn't move. Of course, in the model, it's, it's, it's inside a room. There's no wind. There's no nothing. It's not going to move. But that was just in the model. In a real size one, it moves. These, these strings move. So, uh, but unfortunately, some of these manufacturers didn't go back and change it. And they already sold it. They already advertised it. It's a little bit of a problem. In Israel, you see a lot of the uh, uh, Sukkot are just like this one, where people took it upon themselves to take pieces of wood or plastic or different things and make themselves new sides. For, even if they use that same Sukkah uh, that's easy, easier to build, they use the same exact sides like you guys have over here. So, Baruch Hashem. But you have the whole thing is made from wood, Baruch Hashem. And Mamash, beautiful. So, one of Mamash... Thank you for inviting me to this beautiful sukkah, first of all. So, Baruch Hashem. So, we have the shiur tonight. We have another Pekavot, 67, but obviously we have questions. And tomorrow night is Hoshana Rabbah. Hoshana Rabbah, in so many words, is the day that Hashem decides everything. Everything we prayed for, there was a judgment day, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, oh, I see this... This uh, camera is already giving problems already at the beginning of the shiur. We gave a chidush from Rav Vadya and they're already giving a problem. Let's see. Uh, hold on a second. Let's see if we can fix this this way this time. Ah. Okay. I think you guys could see me now good. All right? Not uh, sideways. 
Somebody make a comment so I know it's not sideways anymore. Okay, can anybody see it on the phone? Uh, I don't have any. Okay, I think I think they would make comments if it's not sideways again. I think it's fine. Okay, so Oshana uh, Raba is the uh, day that Hashem decides everything. On uh, oh, Baruch Hashem, thank you, Gary. We can see it's perfect. Baruch Hashem, good. All right, so I like this Facebook Live thing because it's people from all over the world can see the show, but they also give you live feedback. Hey, you're terrible. Hey, you're good. You know, it's good. Gives you a rebuke right on the spot. Right on the spot. Hey, you're boring. It's good. Baruch Hashem. So I gotta study more for next time. Whatever it is. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem, most of the time it's compliments. Uh, okay, good, good. Baruch Hashem. Good. Very good, very good. Okay, so on Rosh Hashanah, we said, Avinu Malkenu, Rachem Alenu. We said, Our Father, our King, have mercy on us. Lama, our Father, our King. Because our father really always wants to give us the right. He's saying, oh, listen, you're my son, go, go. You're my daughter, I love you, go, go, go. But really there's rules. There's rules to the system. There's rules. I said there's rules. Somebody said, Mechalel Shabbat, it says in the Torah, Mot Yumat, Chash Shalom. No, it's good, it's good. I see it on my own machine also. It's good. It's not too close? Oh, that's how you see me in the uh, machine? Yeah. Oh, yeah. but on my machine you don't see it that close. Oh, no? Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. By the time I redirect it, I'll lose a train of thought. It's fine. Most importantly, they listen. So, um, the uh, Father, our Father in Heaven, Hashem Barach, really wants to give us everything. You want a car, He wants to give you a car. You want a Toyota, He wants to give you a Ferrari. He wants to give you everything. He wants to give you better than what you want for yourself. You want a house to live in, He wants to give you a castle. He wants to give it to you. But when Hashem Yidbarach created the Torah, 974 generations before He created the world, before He created mankind, in Gemara Masechet Chagiga, it says that Hashem created the Torah 974 generations before He created man, and He used black fire on white fire to write it. He inscribed it Himself. That's why when you see a Sefer Torah now in the Beknesset, you see that always, every Sefer Torah, it doesn't matter if it's Mashkenazim, Sfaradim, Yemenites, Litvish, doesn't make a difference who they are. Everybody uses the same thing. The scroll is white and the ink is black. Always the same. Nobody is writing in pink. No one is writing in blue. No one is writing in green ink. I, If you look at all my letters, if I write people letters, it's always in green ink. I like green ink. So if I wrote a Torah scroll, if it was my opinion, I wrote a Torah scroll in the green ink. But not allowed. Why? Because it's supposed to commemorate how Hashem Bach wrote the Torah scroll himself. He used black fire as the ink on white fire as the background. So when he wrote the Torah, it wasn't just rules for us. It was also rules for him. Because he knew as our creator, he's our father. So he could do, really, he wants to... Any father in the world that's a normal father doesn't want to give his kids everything. If he doesn't want to give them everything, he's not normal. I know I see my daughter. She cries. I want to give her the world. Not just what she wants, but the world too on top of it, just in case. She wants a little toy. I want to give her the world and the toy. She wants spaghetti. I want to give her the world and spaghetti. Just in case she wants something, I want to give it to her. But if you're, if you're a good father, you can give her everything. We're still in training. She's still training us to be good father, a good mother. 
for a while. When training, it's, it's training. It takes a few years to train. By the time they grow up, you already know what to do. But anyway, um, so our father really wants to give us everything. But he says, listen, that's not the way to do it. You can't just give your kids everything. Why? Because they end up becoming spoiled brats. They cause trouble. And it's, they're not because they don't become really good people. So we have to give them rules. So Hashem says, I'm the father, but I'm also the king. The king has rules. So this Torah is a rule book, not only for us, but also for him. Meaning that he knows that there are certain things that he can give us and there are certain things that he can't give us based on his own rules. And since his signature is emet, meaning truth, he cannot violate his own law. Can't violate his own law. He could postpone it, he could delay it, but he can't violate it. So on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we say, Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king. Why our father, our king? Our father gives us everything, but if in case the father really can't, even though he wants to give it to us, go talk to the king. No, as the king, you can do it. What do you mean as the king, you can do it? As the king, you could postpone the punishment that I really deserve and give me more time to do tshuva. As our father, you want to give it up anyway. You want to say, listen, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, but I can't because there's rules. But as the king, you're not going to say, no, it's okay. What you're going to say, I'll postpone it. I'll give you another year to do tshuva. And the uh, Rambam says the Reshaim, the Reshaim, unfortunately, they get right away judge death. Right away. There's no there's no in-between. Someone that's a mamash, a rasha, gets death penalty. And unfortunately, a rasha doesn't necessarily mean a mean person. A rasha doesn't necessarily mean an evil person. doesn't mean that. It could be a wonderful person. Like this uh, young girl that died that was my neighbor. I told you guys uh, last time, last my last lecture, my neighbor, 23, 24-year-old, young, cute kid. She, uh, mamash, didn't have a bad bone in her body. But unfortunately, according to the rules of God, it was time to go. He has his own judgment. I don't judge anybody. The point being is that the Rambam says that if someone is really a rasha, Hashem takes their life. But sometimes you see people that are evil. Not only evil, they're the worst people on earth. The Hitlers of the world, the thieves of the world, the murderers, the rapists, the uh, pedophiles, wicked, wicked, wicked people. And they still have another year. They still have another year. I was reading Kohelet, the book of Ecclesiastes over Sukkot. And throughout the first nine chapters... Nine chapters, 12 chapters. First nine chapters, Shlomo Amelech is complaining. What is he complaining? This is not fair. This is not fair. This is not fair. This is not fair. What's not fair? He says there's sometimes you see a tzaddik gets punished. He has a miserable life. Sometimes you see a wicked person has a good life or it looks like a good life. Sometimes you see the guy that's stealing have money. The guy that's... Uh, Try to work, uh, get a hard living, barely has money to survive, and so on and so forth. He says, and this is, looks evil. It looks evil, but it's not. He says, chapter 10, he says, it's not evil. This is the deen of Shemaim. This is the way Hashem runs the world. And in the end, when you see the full picture, you see that Hashem runs the world in a perfect, precise way. There's always a reason for it. The Arizal, Allah Shalom, 
one of his students always asks questions about what happens when you see someone that's righteous and he's suffering and someone that's wicked is prospering, how could it be? And he said, you know what, go to the uh, forest and stand by a specific tree. Stand by there, don't say anything, make sure no one sees you. And just stand there the whole day. At the end of the day, come back to me. The rabbi says, we do. So the student goes, he hides in the bushes, and he's looking at the tree all day. Shortly after, he sees a guy come to the tree, relaxed by the tree, under the shade of the tree, it's very hot. Takes a drink, relaxes, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta, and he picks up and he leaves. But before he leaves, he drops his wallet, full of money. In those days, it wasn't a wallet like today that's uh, one inch by one inch. In those days, it was a bag. A bag full of money. Shortly after, another guy comes, hangs out by the shade. He sees this bag full of money. Well, you see a bag full of money, you're going to stay there? No, what do you do? You pick it up, you go. Just in case the owner comes back. There's no owner. There's nobody There's nobody here. There's no ID. He takes the money. He leaves. Shortly after, a third guy comes. Third guy comes, and he's by the shade. The original guy, the first guy that lost the wallet, comes back. The original guy, the first guy, yeah, there's three seats over here. The original guy comes back, and he goes to the guy, hey, listen. I just left a little while ago, and I left my uh, bag full of money over here. Give me the bag. And he says, "Uh, there's no bag here. I'm here only for the last 15, 20 minutes. There's no bag of money. He goes, listen, don't lie to me. I left the bag full of money here. Give me the money. He goes, there's no money. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no money. The guy that that lost his money gets angry, takes a knife, stabs him, and kills him. And leaves, leaves the body to die, and leaves. So the student of the Arizal goes to the rabbi, he says, How can this be justice? Do you know what happened? The Arizal says, I will tell you what happened. I wasn't there, but I'll tell you what happened. First guy came there, and he dropped his wallet, dropped the bag full of money. Second guy picked it, left, took the money with the reward. Third guy got murdered for something he didn't do. He goes, yeah, exactly, Kvodarav. Why? How, what kind of justice is this? He says, the justice is from Shamayim. What you don't know is what happened in the previous Gilgul. In the previous life, these three people were also part of the same case. The first guy that lost the money, the first guy that lost the money, the second guy that, lost the, that found the money, and the third guy that murdered, all three of them were part of the same case. The first guy... The, the guy that actually uh, lost the money, he is the guy that found the money in the past and didn't return it. He found money, but he knew. He took, he took money from another guy. He stole money from another guy. And when it came to the court case, he knew the judge. He told the judge, listen, judge, I'll give you a part of the money don't say anything. The judge took the bribe. 
So the first guy that lost the money, he's the guy that stole the money originally. The second guy that found the money, nothing happened to him, he's the guy they stole from. Now, this guy that lost the money, he had to come back in a reincarnation to return the money that he lost to the guy that he stole from. So the student says to the result, okay, no problem. The guy that stole had to come back in a reincarnation to return the money that he stole because no one can get to Gan Eden with, with blood on their hands, meaning if they stole money. But who's the guy that murdered? He goes, oh, that's the judge. The judge is the one that had to get murdered. Why? Because when you go against Torah, you judge against the Torah, death penalty. Death penalty. So, Shlomo Melech in the first nine chapters, ten chapters of the book of Kohelet, of Ecclesiastes, is telling us it looks unfair. Everything looks unfair. But it's not. It's very fair. It's a righteous judge. But this righteous judge has rules. And he says, listen, as your father, I want to give you everything. I want to give you everything. But I can't because I have rules. If I didn't have rules, it would be Sodom and Gomorrah. On the other hand, because I'm your father, I can act as the king whenever I want. And as the king, I can decide to postpone the punishment. I don't have to punish you now. I can punish you down the road. I'll give you another year. I'll give you another year. I'll give you another I'll give you more time. That's what we say, Avinu Malkenu. We say our father, king. So on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we say, please judge us favorably. If it didn't work out on Rosh Hashanah, we say that on Yom Kippur is the appeal. But then the final judgment is made on Rosh Hashanah Rabbah. On the seventh day of Sukkot, which is tomorrow night. And in order for us to maybe try our best to tilt the judgment in our favor, do whatever we can. It's the last shot. We had a judgment already. We had an appeal already. But just in case you could like wink at the judge or send him a bag of you know roses or chocolates or something. Do something. Just like maybe, maybe. If we're like 50-50, maybe we could take it to 51 positive. What do we do? We study Torah all night. The men study Torah all night. It's a minag. It's not an obligation. But it's a very popular minag where the men come to Beknesset or Bet Midrash uh, and they study all night. Usually start around, uh, you know, sometime 10, 11 o'clock at night and they study all the way until the next morning, until Shachrit. You pray Shachrit and then you go home and sleep for a few hours. You don't sleep till 5 o'clock in the afternoon. You sleep for a few hours and you go on with your day. You know, people think that you go to Beknesset, you do Shachrit, you get home, let's say, at 8.30, and then you sleep till 5 o'clock in the afternoon. No. Sleep a few hours, sleep whatever, 2, 3, 4 hours, 5 hours, but don't sleep till uh, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It kills you all day. Do something, do something productive. So now, many people say, listen, it's a very, very nice minag. They have the same minag in Shavuot. We study all night on Shavuot and other times. But I can't do it because I'm working. I can't do it because I'm working. I have work tomorrow. So now, there's a few things we need to learn from this Mishnah. This Mishnah connects to it. 
But the first thing we should know in regards to working on Chol HaMoed, in general, you're not allowed to work on Chol HaMoed unless you're going to lose money. If it's a matter of losing profit, you're not allowed to work. If it's a matter of losing money, losing principle, then you're allowed to work. What's the difference? Many people are like, yeah, if I don't go to work, I'm not going to get my paycheck. That's not considered losing money. That's considered losing a profit. For that, you're not allowed to work. But if, let's say, for example, if you don't go to work, you're going to lose out on a deal, or you're going to lose out on a contract, or you're going to get fired, then you're allowed to work. Then you're allowed to work. But people treat the Cholam uh, like it's every day, like it's a regular day, and it's not. To such an extent that the Gemara says anyone that works on Cholam and mistreats Cholam treats Cholam like a regular day, has no Olam Has no share of the world to come. People think that Cholam is no big deal. It's another day. Go work, go do this. Go. You're allowed to go enjoy yourself. You're allowed to go hang out with the family. Eat, drink, barbecue, everything. But work, you're not allowed. Why? It's, a, it's technically a moed. It's technically still a holiday. Technically, you're not allowed to go work. Just that it's, you're allowed to do certain things. It's not regular day. If you treat it like a regular day, Chazal says, you lose your olam haba. We see that in the Gemara, in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Zohar, in the five books of Moses, we see that certain things... They don't always make sense logically to us, but it seems that on small things, somebody can lose their olam about just like that. Mamash, just like that. David HaMelech, Allah Shalom, said to Hashem, Hashem, I have no doubt, it's in Tehilim, I have no doubt that you're going to judge the righteous, the tzaddikim, with an enormous amount of reward in olam no doubt in my mind that the tzaddikim have a great reward that's innumerable. You can't count it in Olam Abba. I just don't know if I'm one of them. I don't know if I have Olam Abba. David Melech, David Melech, who's the fourth pillar of the Merkava that carries the Shechina, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, David Melech, Mashiach, comes from David HaMelech. David HaMelech comes from a convert, Ruth the Moaviyah, Shlomo HaMelech his son, eventually to now, Mashiach is going to come from him. David HaMelech, he says, I don't know if I have Olam Abba. I don't know if I'm a tzaddik. I don't know. He wrote Tehilim. Sefer Tehilim, our entire Sidul is full of Tehilim. Anyone is in trouble, they read Tehilim. Anyone is sick, they need Tehilim. Anyone has a court case, Tehilim. Anyone has a headache, Tehilim. Anyone upset, Tehilim. Anyone wants to get uplifted, Tehilim. Anything you want to do, Tehilim. Even the Goim read Tehilim. David Melch wrote Tehilim. He says, I don't know if I have a Lama Ba. I don't know. I don't know if I'm Tzaddik. Why does David Melch have a Lama Ba? Why does he have a Lama Ba? Because he wasn't sure if he has a Lama Ba. That's why he has Olam But in the same generation as David HaMelech, Arab Nisimi again, Allah Shalom says in the Rasha, the same generation, there was two Gdolei Ador, heads of the Sanhedrin, heads, heads of the court, 
the biggest rabbis in the world, Doeg and Achitofel. These are not like uh, some uh, idiots, murderers. These are people that are heads, heads of Sanhedrin, meaning to be in the Sanhedrin, yet to be able to speak 70 languages. 70 languages! In America, it's considered a skill set if you speak two languages. It's considered, you're like, wow, you speak Spanish too. Por qué? Wow, I see. It's like, what do I know? I know siete. I know seven. What do I know? You know siete. I know siete. I know, I know, disculpa. What do you know? Nothing. It's like, somebody speaks Spanish. You put a resume. Oh, you speak Spanish. Wow. Very good. That's what? He speaks two languages, barely the guy. Sanhedrin, 70 languages. 70 languages. And people always say, oh, no, no, uh, Rambam, I don't agree with him. Rabbi Akiva, no, no, I don't agree with him. Do you know that if you are in a generation, if you are big chacham, big chacham, and you are in a generation of the Rambam, it's not even the generation of Rabbi Akiva. Generation of Rambam is 900 years ago. If you're big chacham, you wouldn't even be a stool. A stool that Rambam would sit on. A stool. Big chacham. A little chair to sit on. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be enough. Maybe a light. Maybe a light bulb would be. Nothing. But like, no, no, I don't agree with Rabbi Akiva. I don't think he understands what he's talking about. I'm not sure if Rashi is, is, is right over here. I'm not sure. People always... So now... Oh, so now... In the generation of David Melech, David Melech, Kodesh Kodeshim, who was not sure if he has Olam Abba. Was not sure. He wrote Sefer Tehilim, wasn't sure if he has Olam Abba. But the same generation, Achitofel and Doega Adomi, heads of the Sanhedrin, top rabbis in the world. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says, have no Olam Abba. Have no share of the world to come. Doega Adomi, and Achitofel, no Olam Abba. How it start? Lashonara. No Lamaba. Why? 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 Why does Doega Adomi in Achitofel? Why they didn't do Tfilin? Rabbeinu Tam, Rashi, every day, two Tfilin. Shachrit, Mincha, Arvit, Tfilin, Tfilot, Sukkah. You think they didn't build a Sukkah? They built a Sukkah. They're Lulav Mehudar. A trog this big. A trog they carried on their shoulder. You know, they say that uh, Rabbi Akiva would carry his trog on his shoulder. It was that big. Rabbi Akiva carries a tog on the shoulder. A different part of the Gemara says one of the tzaddikim would have a lulav the whole year. Not just on Sukkot. A lulav he would carry it the whole year. He says it's special kedusha to carry the lulav the whole year. He would fight the Yetzirah with the lulav. Amen. He would fight the Yetzirah with the lulav. So they had Sukkot. They had Yom Kippur. They did. They had Hoshanah. Tfilin, Shabbat, wait, he didn't keep Shabbat, Shalom, the heads of the Sanhedrin, heads of Sanhedrin. Gemara says, no Olam Abba, no Olam Abba. Why no Olam Abba? Because they were sure they had Olam Abba. They were so sure they had Olam Abba, they lost their Olam Abba. So confident they have Olam Abba, they lost Olam Abba. Why? They said something they're not supposed to say, finished, finished. You know, there were a lot of people that hated David Melech. It's hard to understand why anybody would hate someone that Mashiach's coming from him. 
So they would bother him all the time. They would say, hey, uh, David Amelech, uh, we have a question, because he was also a rabbi. He's a What's the deen for uh, someone that uh, goes with a married woman? What's the judgment in Shamaim? Someone goes with a married woman. He says, it's chenek. They kill him with uh, strangling him by uh, hanging him. But he still has a share of the world to come. But someone that's malbin pnei chavero berabim has no olam haba. But someone that embarrasses another person in public has no olam haba. That's how you would answer them. But every day they'd answer them the same question. They don't care that he's saying that what they're doing, they're losing their olam haba. Why? Why? Why they don't care? What, they're crazy? Why they don't care? Because in the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, page 119, it says there is, uh, There's no person that sees the rebuke being relevant to himself. When I talk about Shabbat, the guy that's in Mechalel Shabbat that's in the room doesn't think he's talking to you. Doesn't think he's talking. It's like, yeah, it's probably Mechalel Shabbat, Miskenim. Why the Mechalel Shabbat? He thinks he's tzaddik. Like, no, I keep Shabbat. What do you I keep Shabbat. He doesn't realize he's, a, he's, a, he's the Mechalel Shabbat I'm talking about. Or sometimes you talk about Shlom Bait. Talk about Shlom Bait. He tells the guy, ta, 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 ta. you know, somebody's in the room as a lecturer. The, the, the advantage of getting to know your crowd is that you get to know different issues, and you mention them in lectures, so you don't have to say it to the guy directly, or to the woman directly. It's easier. They hear it in a lecture. It's more likely that it's going to succeed that way. Or, you have Siyat Bishmaya, where Hashem helps you, He puts words in your mouth that are relevant to somebody specific. But if the person is like a stonehead, he doesn't understand... You're talking about Shlom Bayit, Shlom Bayit, Shlom Bayit. He doesn't realize it's relevant to him. He thinks, yeah, these people probably have a lot of problems in their life. Wow, poor people. He doesn't realize the whole time it's him. I had a guy for months. He's telling me, you know, I have Shlom Bayit problems. My wife is doing this. 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 Now, I only know his version of the story. So I give him advice based on what I know. I tell him, listen, maybe you should tell her this, you should give her this, you should give her this, you give her this. Sure. Guy comes to you with an issue, you try to give him advice. That's what, that's what we do. One day, I talk to him a little more deep, and I let him talk. I just listen, I let him talk, talk. Let him, you know, sometimes it's good to mitzvah mamash, to let somebody just pour out their heart. Just let him talk. Doesn't matter what they say, just let him talk. They need to get something off their chest. So I let him talk, 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 talk. But as he's talking, he st- I start uncovering things he didn't tell me before. All of a sudden, I realize the problem is not the wife. He's the problem. He's the slumbite problem. Not the wife. And he tells me, oh yeah, you know, I told my wife this, she did this, and I told her this. And I'm, I said to myself, I honestly, it was such a big thing. I, he, I said, wait, hold on a second. Wait, wait. Can you repeat that again? What did you just say? Yeah, I told her something like she had something bad with her body or something like that. I understand. I want to call 911. I want to call 911 on this guy just because of how stupid he is. Maybe he needs to go to a mental institution. I said, you said this to your wife? You said your wife has something wrong with her body? 
It's, I wanted to call 911 on him. But you know, the 911, they're tell me, listen, people do this all the time. I said, yeah, Hashem Rachem. I wanted to call 911 on him. I said, this guy's crazy. You're, you, you belong in a mental institution. You're telling your, you're telling your wife, a woman, she's all heart. All heart. A woman is mamash, 100% heart. When it's, when it's re- relevant to a husband, with the world, heart and brain. With the husband, only heart. There's no brain. It's mamash one heart, one big heart. You took a knife, a sword, Maybe a machete too, a machine gun. Start shooting at the heart. Is something wrong with you? I want to call 911 on him. Like, what's wrong with you? How could you say this to a woman? He goes, why, it's that bad? The Tembel doesn't even know. He's the problem. The whole time I'm thinking, I'm thinking, she's a Rashaik. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this woman? This guy's such a nice guy. But everybody looks like a Tzaddik. Until you find out the whole story. No one sees the problem was with himself. I had a guy send me a uh, message today. I don't know this guy. He sends me a message. And Chag uh, Sameach. And he sends me some invite to some Chabad event or something like that. In New York. I don't live in New York, obviously. I live here. So I don't know. I thought maybe he's holding the event. So... In return, I sent him a Chag Sameach poster and an invite to the live show that we're going to have tomorrow night that he can watch on Facebook Live. He says, in return, you, instead of, you know, this should be the end of the conversation or thank you, I don't know, end of the conversation really. He sends me back a return. I should teach you Musar. I should teach you Musar. I could teach you all this stuff. Instead of sending me an invitation, you should have said Chak Sameach. Because I could teach you. So my reply, I'm not usually a guy that just, you know, sometimes I have to respond. It's, it's my nature. I have to have the last word. It's not good. It's not always good. So I say, you know what? Honestly, the, your ego is getting in the way of your vision. Because the first thing I said is Chak Sameach. And I replied to you the same thing you did to me. But your ego is getting in the way of your vision. You're so upset that I invited you to a shiul. For whatever reason, I don't know what that means, but you're upset that I invited you to a shiul. That uh, you're the one that's getting upset. But that's the thing. Sometimes people don't realize that they're the problem. They are the problem. So, in the Sukkot, we have an opportunity to do everything possible to be to be happy during Sukkot, which is very, very hard. It's hot. A lot of people come. If you have one of those families in America, it's very, very common for people to invite people. In Israel, by the way, it's less common. It's less common. During the holidays, usually you have people over, but during the year in general, it's less common for people to come over other people's houses on Shabbat and, and just regular less common in the religious world. Like here, it's very common for every Shabbat house, like every religious house in America, to have guests for Shabbat. Not because they're homeless or they're poor or anything, but just because people invite each other. It's very common behavior. It's not the mitzvah of hosting guests, because the mitzvah of hosting guests is hosting a guest that doesn't have another place to eat. That's the mitzvah. So when you're hosting your neighbor, your friend, your brother, your sister, whoever... 
It's not a mitzvah. It's a nice thing to do if you're enjoying it, but if they have food somewhere else, it's not a mitzvah. So in Israel, in the religious world, for the most part, people have their own family. That's it. They don't invite like their friends and their neighbors and stuff like that. It's very uncommon, especially in Yerushalayim where I was. But in America, it's very common to have guests. So in Sukkot, even more so in America, people invite a lot of people sometimes for Sukkot. And uh, people come over and so on. So it's hard to be so happy when you got 15 people asking you questions. You have 15 people asking you questions, 20 people asking you questions. Oh, why'd you build the house this way? Why'd you build that? When'd you get the car? How many kids do you have? How old are you now? How much do you make a year? Is your wife working? Are you guys planning on having another big... 500 questions. You feel like, you feel like the guy's writing a story about you. Mama, it's like a story. That's the reason why this year, we just moved to a new house, still settling in. We decided, let's just me, the wife, and the two little babies. We decided this year to keep it calm. Every year we had people over. This year we decided to keep it calm. I said, you know what? I'll ask you questions, honey. I haven't seen you all year. Let me ask you a bunch of questions. My wife says, no, I have questions for you. So, listen, sometimes you need some peace and quiet. It's good to have peace and quiet. But sometimes you have guests. It's hard to be happy when people are asking you so many questions. And then the food doesn't come out warm. And it's hot. And then there's mosquitoes. And then there's a frog. And then there's this. And then all these different things. The Arizal says, it's the hardest mitzvah in the Torah for him. To be happy on Sukkot. Hardest mitzvah. He's sleeping outside the whole week. It's not easy. So, we have to be happy. Now, if we weren't successful being happy, again, Oshana Rabba, another chance. Oshana Rabba is giving us a chance to be extra happy on Sukkot. Why? You're learning Torah the, the entire night. The entire night you're learning Torah. Torah, what is Torah supposed to do? Make you happy. Torah makes you happy. So, you actually have a chance to fulfill this mitzvah. Shem gives you another chance to fill it in this month. So if the Torah is supposed to make you happy, how come people run away from Torah? Because they don't know what it is. They tell you, listen, I got to work tomorrow. I can't learn all night. I got to work tomorrow. So first and foremost, again, learn. If you're not going to lose your job, you're not going to lose principle, you're not allowed to work. It's mamash 100% a sin from the Torah to work on, on Chola Moed unless you're going to lose principle. This is Allah This is not my Chumrah or street. This is Gemara. This is what it says. You want to work? Go work. Good luck to you. But it says in the Torah that someone can lose Allah Abba just like that. This is one of the things you can lose Allah Abba for. Disrespecting Chola Moed. Treating like another day. And if you are so sure that you have Olam Abba, that's why I said the story of Achitofel and Doeg Adomi. They were bigger tzaddikim than you. They were heads of the Sanhedrin. They also were sure they had Olam Abba. They lost Olam Abba. Who has Olam Abba? David Amelech, who wasn't sure if he's going to have Olam Abba. That's, that's, that's why it says, Reshit Chochmah Yerat Hashem. O Ashrei Adam Mefachet Tamid. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Almighty. Or in another verse it says, Praiseworthy is the man who's always scared. Why is he always scared? Because now if he's always scared, he has a chance of getting Olam Abba. He's worried about Olam Abba. That's why he's scared. He's worried he's going to lose Olam Abba. He doesn't know. But he's going to, one sin, he can lose everything. He can do tshuva. But sometimes you make a sin and you don't know you made it. Like this guy, unless Hashem had mercy on him, he could have 
Shlom Bait problems his whole life, thinking it's his wife's fault. The whole time it's his fault. You understand? So now, this Torah that Hashem Itbarach gave us is a way for us to find out. Find out these answers. Find out if we have Olam or how to get it, how to be happy, how to be unhappy, how to be successful, and so on. Now, one of the most famous characters that every person in Judaism knows, especially Jewish mothers, is Rabbi Meir Balanes. Rabbi Meir Balanes, you say it to some, next to some Sephardic women, they say Rabbi Meir Balanes, they start kissing their eyes, their lips, they say, oh, Rabbi Meir Balanes, they light candles. It's very, you go to Moroccan, Tripoli, anyone from the Middle East, say Rabbi Meir Balanes, ooh, what? Rabbi Meir Balanes is like, might as well say Mashiach, might as well David Amir, same thing. They light candles. Rabbi Mibalanes is very popular in that crowd. He should be. He should be popular around all of Am Yisrael. But Rabbi Mibalanes actually wrote this Mishnah. It says the following. Rabbi Meir Omer, Eve memaed be'esek, ve'asok b'torah, ve'eve shfal ruach b'pnei kol adam, ve'im batalta min ha'torah, yesh lecha betelim arbe kenegdecha. Translation, Rabbi Meir, referring to Rabbi Meir says, limit your business activities and engage in Torah study. Be of humble spirit before every person. If you should neglect the study of Torah, you will have many excuses to neglect it. But if you labor for the Torah, he will have ample reward to give you. The literal translation is very, very simple. You could take it literally and we could dig, dig deep down into it. First and foremost, you have Rabbi Mirbaranes. This is one of the most famous Tanaim in all of the Torah. He is fourth generation Tana. He's one of the five students that Rabbi Akiva, after the horrendous event where in Igmar Masechet Sanhedrin, page 14a, talks about how uh, 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died in a short period of time right before Lagba Omer. Rabbi Akiva had to restart. How you restart after losing 24,000 of Doleado, I don't know, but he knew he had to restart. And one of the five students was Rabbi Meir Baranes, meaning our entire oral Torah, he's one of the people it depends on. We don't have the, the Torah of the 24,000 students. We have the Torah of the five students and Rabbi Akiva. Much less. <coughs> so, Rabbi Meir Baranes is one of those giants. And he's called Rabbi Meir Baranes. Rabbi Meir, the uh, owner of miracles. Why? Because miracles were very common to him. One of the things, one of the stories says, I believe in Gemara Masechet Brachot, says that uh, his uh, wife, Bulia, she, uh, she had a sister who uh, got kidnapped. Got kidnapped by the uh, Romans or taken, whatever, by the Romans. And uh, they took her to the prostitution house. 
made her into a prostitute. And uh, she says to Rabbi Meir, you have to do something. You have to go do something. Go save my sister. So Rabbi Meir went. He prayed to Hashem. He said, Hashem, if no one has touched her, she's still clean, make me a miracle that I'll be able to free her. If not, let it stand as your judgment. That's what it is. Because in reality, she really was a tzaddikid. The sister was a tzaddik, was a tzaddikah. She made one sin. She made one sin that Hashem sent her to get judged for. What was the sin? This is the Gemara Masechet Sotah. What was the sin? Anybody know what the sin was? Her father was a big tzaddik, Rabbi Hanina. Big, big tzaddik. Her mother was tzaddikah. Her sister, Bruria, Rabbi Meir Balanes' wife, tzaddikah. Mentioned all over the Gemara, having debates. She knew Torah. She knew more than many of the sages even. Had an unfortunate end. But nonetheless, she was a big chachama, and her sister also was a tzaddikah. So why did she get such a big punishment? Hashem sends tzaddikah to a prostitution house. Become a prostitute. What kind of punishment is that? Why? Because one day... She was walking around and a couple of Goim, a couple of Romans, saw her and they complimented the way she was walking. Not her fault. They complimented the way she was walking. So because they complimented the way, the way she was walking, she took the night, you know, she took the compliment. She felt good about it. So she decided to walk a little nicer to get more attention. Hashem says, oh, you want attention of the Goim, of Imanesti? No problem. I'll send you to a place... That's all you're going to get. Shem Echem. For what? For walking. Not for sleeping with one of them. Chas v'shalom. Not for being with one of them. Not for wearing a mini skirt. Not for wearing no clothes. Not for that. For walking. For walking. Shem Echem. For walking and trying to get attention. People say, oh, listen, you're too stringent. You talk about women's modesty too much. I'm like, why? You know what the Torah says about modesty? A tzaddikah, tzaddikah, her father was able to revive the dead. Her father was able to revive, take a dead, make him alive. Someone dead, make him alive. Someone alive, make him dead. Her father was like that. A sister, a mother, everybody was tzaddikah. She was tzaddikah too. Mother's clothes covered up the ears, sleeves, nothing, no problem. She wasn't wearing big, you know, 30 inch heels. Tzadikah, she walked, she walked a little bit. After getting a compliment, Hashem says, that's a sin for you. It's a sin. Imagine what Hashem thinks of a woman that doesn't cover herself. Imagine what Hashem thinks of a woman that wears one of these short skirts, or one of these long wigs, or one of these tight clothes that's so tight you pretty much know exactly how she looks like naked. So Hashem sent her to the prostitution house. That was the punishment. So, Abimeir goes, giant, guard over there. He says, listen, he pretends to be, Abimeir pretends to be a customer. I'm looking. Okay, go look. Immediately he sees who she is, and she doesn't know it's him. 
He says, yes, uh, I'd like you. And she goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can't. He goes, why can't? I'll pay, I'll pay top dollar for you. No, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I'll pay top dollar for you. I'll pay double what you want. You. He goes, no, I'm sorry, it's my time of the month. It's my time of the month, and under no condition am I going to be with anybody in the time of the month. Rabbi Meir, no. Ah, tzadikah is also chachama. Tzadikah is also wise. She probably tells this excuse to everybody. That means no one touched her. So he goes back to the bodyguard, to the uh, security guard. He says, listen, that one over there, the, the new one you have, I want to buy her. He goes, hey, buy her. My owner, the owner of the place will kill me. He goes, listen, here's a bag full of gold. Take it. He goes, doesn't matter how much gold you give me, they're going to kill me. He said, listen, don't worry, it's going to be okay. He goes, what, don't worry, how could I trust it's going to be okay? He goes, just say, anyone comes next to you, just say, The God of Rabbi Meir, answer me. Not Rabbi Meir, answer me, chas v'shalom. The God of Rabbi Meir. Because Rabbi Meir has, a, has, has merits in Shemaim. Some people, what do they say? Rabbi Meir, answer me. They make Rabbi Meir into an idol. No, it's Allah the Rabbi Meir. The God of Rabbi Meir answer me because Rabbi Meir has merits. Say the God of Rabbi Meir answer me and don't worry, everything's going to be okay. He goes, how do I know it's going to work? He says, okay, you have that, that uh, vicious hyena you have over there or a dog or whatever you have over there that's about to kill whatever he sees. He goes, release him. He goes, release him. He's going to kill you in two seconds. He's going to kill you. Giant dog. It's a lion. He's going to kill you. He goes, release him. Don't worry. Guy says, listen, No insurance. He releases him. The dog runs, runs, runs and attacks to attack Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says, The God of Rabbi Meir, Aneni, answer me. The little dog becomes a little puppy. Starts to become his best friend. Nothing. No, don't say it. Nothing. Puppy. Why? Because Rabbi Meir, Balanes, has merits. So from that moment on, they called Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, Balanes. Rabbi Meir, the miracle worker. Why? There was a lion over there. Kills everything in sight, including the owner. All of a sudden becomes puppy. Why? Rabbi Meir has merits. Torah merits. But people need to know, it's not Rabbi Meir that makes the miracles. It's Hashem makes the miracles. The God of Rabbi Meir. Very important to know, there's a lot of idol worship, unfortunately, in everywhere, including Judaism today. If we don't know how to translate things correctly. So Rabbi Meir, Valanes, is the one giving us this Mishnah. Rabbi Meir, was highly praised by his students. Who were his students? One of them was Rabbi Yudan Asi. Rabbi. Rabbi Akadosh. Rabbi, who's Rabbi? Rabbi is the one that put this Mishnah together. The entire Mishnah we have, all of the Mishnah that the Gemara is based on, it's before the Gemara, 2,500 years ago, Mishnah. Who's the ba- who wrote it? Rabbi. Who's his teacher? Rabbi Meibalanes. What did Rabbi say about Rabbi Meibalanes? He says, I contribute all of my wisdom in Torah to the fact that I was able to see the back of Rabbi Meibalanes' head. I was able to see the back of his head. Imagine how much knowledge I would have if I was able to see the front. So, the Mefarshim have a few different commentaries on it. 
And one of the opinions is that Rebbe was one of the students, in, uh, Rabbi Meir's students, but he didn't sit close. He sat in the back, far away from his teacher. And he was able to see him from far away, but he never developed a close relationship with him as if you do one-on-one. He says, look how much I learned from him just from being one of the students in his class. One of the many students he had. Look how much I was able to learn from him just from seeing him draw on a chalkboard. Just a student in his class. Look, I wrote the meantime Mishnah. Imagine I was able to get close to him and learn his Torah. People today don't understand the value of a rabbi, unfortunately. One of the biggest problems we have today is that people have no concept of what a rabbi is. They think that a rabbi is just another guy, you learn some Torah, you come to Shur and that's it. You come to Shur, you listen to a few minutes, you, that's it. They don't take advantage of what, if someone's mamash, able to be a rabbi, is chacham, has some wisdom, knows a few things, if take advantage of it, was taking advantage of it, taking advantage of it means everything. Not just the Torah, Shlom Bayit, business, talk to him about everything. Why? Because he's going to give you Da'at Torah. He's going to give you the opinion of the Torah, not his opinion. Someone that's able to give you Da'at Torah, and give you his opinion, the opinion of the Torah all the time, not his own opinion. If it's his own opinion, it's just like another friend. But if he gives you the opinion of the Torah, what should I do here? This is a deal between us and this other company. Should we do it? Should we not? This other company, they do da 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 Well, you know what? Based on Torah, you're not allowed to do business with them. Why? Because they violate this. Or based on Torah, you're allowed to do it. Based on allowed, not allowed. Based on wisdom that he has on business. Based on the wisdom that he has on certain things. Or... I have Shlom Bayit problems. Why? My wife doesn't like to talk to me ever. She talks to me once a week. She says Shabbat Shalom. Oh, okay, why? Well, that Torah means that there's probably a problem on both ends. It's not just her fault. Has to be something else. A woman that doesn't stop talking to her husband. Something. Did you call her fat? Did you call her ugly? Did you tell her she's, uh, I don't know, she's uh, not pleasing you anymore? Did you tell her that our, our food is terrible? She should learn from your mother how to cook? Did you tell her one of these poisonous comments? Yeah, what's the big deal? Oh, that's the big deal. You should have gotten a divorce. Before, instead of saying the comment, you should have just filed for divorce. Why? Because you just killed her. One of those comments, you just murdered her alive. You just murdered her. You told her, go learn cooking for my mother? Murder. She called 911 on you. Charge you for murder. Tell you, go, go learn for my sister how to cook. Murder. You're not making me happy. Murder. Mama's murder. Guys talk to their wives like they're one of the guys. They don't realize. She's not one of the guys. She's never going to be one of the guys. And if she's one of the guys, she doesn't want to be with you. She wants to be with another guy that she can be a woman with. So, Rebbe learned all of this from his rabbi. And he cherished his rabbi because he says, look how much I learned from him just from being far from him. Rabbi Meir was also a very, very accomplished lecturer. Gave good lectures. And he made a formula for lecture. How to give lectures. He says to keep people interested. He said as the successful formula for public speaking, give one-third of the lecture should be about halacha. Give rules. Allowed, not allowed. Allowed, not allowed. Yes, no. Yes, no. Halacha. Review different things. One-third should be 
a lecture, gives, you know, different things of, make it flow. And the third stories, give stories, Sipuret Tzadikim, Moshe Rabbeinu, different things. Why? This is how you keep your audience into the lecture. Keep them focused. If you just say Alakha, you already lost 75% of the crowd. Why? Because most people are going to get bored. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, the whole time. Most people are going to get bored. If we just say story, the guys that want to learn Alakha, they say, ah, this guy's not serious. This guy's not serious. So you have to combine everything. You have to do it. Break it up. Obviously, it all has to flow, and Hashem gives you Siyat Lishmai, you do it all at the same time. But today, I see, God bless him, some of these speakers, Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave me the ability to speak, and it has nothing to do with me, but I see sometimes, you know, I've been speaking for 20 years already, you know, business and this, I see sometimes these guys that know a lot of Torah, a ton of Torah, much more than I could ever know. Mamash, it's not even a matter they don't know how to speak. They don't know what to speak about. Sometimes they don't know how to speak. Hashem didn't give them the gift. But sometimes they don't know what to speak about. Why? They come to a shiul, they tell you, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. It's a boring shiul. Allowed, not allowed. Allowed, not allowed. Allowed, not allowed. That's what you see in a Biknesset. Everybody's on the phone. The guy is talking and everybody's on their phone. Nobody's paying attention to him. If, if, if you see as a speaker, as a speaker, if you see people on the phone, it's your fault, not their fault. As a speaker, if everybody's on the, if there's one person on the phone, it could be his fault. He's maybe just not interested in being there. But if the whole crowd or a large part of the crowd is on their phone and is not, it's just not paying attention, it's your fault. It's not their fault. It's your fault that they're on the phone. Why are you not interesting? To go read people a book and what it says, they can read it themselves. You have to animate it for them, give them some rules, and so on. But at the same time, give him some stories. You have to break it up. So Rabbi Meir Baranes, he says, this is important too. Even how to speak is important. So you see, already, just from knowing who Rabbi Meir Baranes is, already we learned a bunch of things. So now, let's see what he actually says here. He says, limit your business activities and engage in Torah study. I mean, this is something we probably heard a thousand times already by now. Go learn Torah. Don't work so much. What's the chidush here? What's the chidush? I mean, come on. Rabbi Meir, with all of your gdullah, all of your, your giant wisdom, Rabbi Akadosh says he learned his entire Torah just from looking at the back of your head. This is what you're telling me? This is the chidush? That's it? Go learn Torah, less work? That's it? What's the chidush? The chidush here is the basic level of emuna, Basic level of emuna. Someone came to the Chafetz Chaim, Allah Shalom, and he says to him, Kvodarav, I'm thinking of expanding my business. Expanding my business. But it's going to cost this, and do this, and do this, and do this, and I'll be more time, more this, more this. Should I do it, Kvodarav? And he says, the Rav starts laughing. He says, no, 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 Rob, I was serious. I'm asking a serious question. He goes, no, no, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing, I remember a story. He goes, what's the story, Kvodarav? He goes, I'll tell you the story. He says, one time there was a guy, he was selling beer, beer directly from the barrel. And the beer barrel had one fountain. 
And this guy wasn't exactly the smartest guy in the uh, in the world. Wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. He says, listen, each barrel, I can make 40 pints. 40 containers that could, that could sell out of each barrel. One fountain. I need to make more money because I got to buy a bigger house. I got to buy this. I got to do this. I got expenses. I got to make more money. So he had a bright idea. What is he going to do? He's going to put two fountains in the same barrel. So he puts two fountains, construction, ta 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 Almost broke the barrel, lost the whole beer. Buddy fixed it, ah, invested, there's two openings for the uh, for the beer, but he sees it's the same 40, 40 containers, same 40 pints. How could it be? He says, I have two, <laughs> I have two fountains. He goes, ah, maybe I didn't build it right. I want to put three. I'll put three fountains in the same barrel. Now it's probably going to be 120. Lo and behold, he sees, dude, same 40. He says, I don't, I don't understand. He goes to one of his friends. He goes, listen, there's something wrong with, with, the, with, with my fountains. He goes, what's wrong with your fountains? He goes, look, I put three fountains. So it's the same amount. He goes, yes, you fool. The foundation is still the same. The well is still the same. The amount is still the same. Where you're getting from is still the same. It doesn't matter how many openings there are. The Chafetz Chaim says to his student, he says, My son, the foundation is still the same. It doesn't matter if you work two jobs or three jobs or eight jobs or nine jobs or you have one business or two business or ten business or five business or one building or two building or ten building. The foundation is still the same. If Hashem wants you to have, you're going to have. He doesn't want you to have. He doesn't want you. You're not going to have. It doesn't matter how much you work. You could work 20 hours a day and still be poor. You know how many people work 20 hours a day and they're still poor? You know how many people work only one, two, three hours a day and they're still rich? Hashem just decreed for this one to be poor and that one to be poor, rich. has nothing to do with the amount of time. That's the chidush that Rabbi made is saying over here. He says, limit your time, your activities in business. Engage in Torah. Why? Because it doesn't matter how much you work. Do the basic minimum. Whatever the minimum is, do that. If you're required, if the minimum is for you to work at so-and-so company, is to work nine hours a day, that's what you should work. Don't work an hour more, an hour less. Work as little as possible. Why? All that time, spend it on Torah. Don't work overtime. Don't open another business. Don't do any of that stuff. If Hashem wants you to have, you're going to have. Do the basic minimum of business. Why? Because in reality, your purpose in life is to go learn Torah. Now, how do we know this in actuality? What's a proof that we can see every day? Every day you can see a proof, mamash, 100%. I tell people, anyone wants proof of the Satan, just come watch a shiur. Look at how many distractions there is in every shiur. The camera goes upside down, this one calls, that one calls, the camera breaks, this one, everything's, mamash, the whole week everything works except during the shiur. So this is another way you can actually see the Yetzirah live. How do you know the Yetzirah doesn't want you to learn Torah? And he actually wants you to work. When was the last time you tried learning Torah, but something happened? Right before you learned Torah. Something happened. You wanted to learn Torah, but flat tire. You wanted to learn Torah, but all of a sudden the kids are crying. You wanted to learn Torah, all of a sudden your spouse is yelling at you. You want to learn Torah, you can't find your shoes. You want to learn Torah, you lost the book. 
You want to learn Torah, the computer doesn't work. You want to learn Torah, it's Hurricane Irma. Irma came for why? You want to learn Torah first time in 10 years. You want to learn Torah, Irma came. You want to learn Torah. But when was the last time you had Yitzhak not to work? Oh, honey, I'm going to work overtime. Yitzhak ever interfered? No. Go work overtime. Go work the rest of the year, honey. Go, go, work, work, work. We need the money. Well, honey, we have $10 million in the bank. Yeah, we need it. We need it for school. Yetzirah never interferes with work. Go work forever. Stay there. Just don't learn Torah. The Yetzirah will never interfere with your job. Never. Because he wants you to stay there. He wants you to occupy yourself with work and with the mundane things of this world so you stay away from Torah. Why? Because work keeps you away from him. Torah is the poison against him. It's the potion that kills him. So that's why Rabbi Ephraim says, the Satan will never ever disturb you from business and he'll prefer for you to go work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not six days, no Shabbat. Seven days a week, work on Shabbat too. Why? It's not Torah. As long as it's not Torah, go do it. That's mamash, a proof you can see every day. Go try it. Try it at home. Try this. This is mamash, a proof. You go. You want to learn Torah? Watch how many interferences you have before you want to shiur Torah. How many interferences before you want Honey, I want to go to shiur. She didn't talk to you the whole day. She didn't talk to you. She didn't say nothing the whole day. Honey, I'm going to shiur. Oh, no, but I needed you. What do you mean? I've been at home for 12 hours. You didn't say you needed nothing. You didn't say hello yet. Good morning. I, I was been up. No, I needed you. Why? I got to go to Shul Torah. I'm sorry, I need you now. For what? You end up sitting there at home waiting for her to tell you what to do? Four hours. You could have been to Shul Torah and come back home already. But Yitzharat sent, what happened? You went to your wife to go to you. Or the opposite. Or the kids. Or the car. Or all of a sudden your boss calls you. Hey, listen, I need you in the office. When? Now. What do you mean? It's 8 o'clock at night. I need to, I need to go to Shul Torah right now. No, 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 we need to, we have a closing, we have a this, we have a deal, we have a that. You got to come in. But it's 8 o'clock at night. I have a family, I have, it doesn't matter, you have to come in. He puts pressure on you, making you feel like you're going to lose your job. It's not, you're not going to lose your job. You're not going to lose your job. All you're going to lose is Shul Torah. That's all you're going to lose. But that's Yetzirah. Mamash, try this at home. Watch, you open a book, all of a sudden you're tired. Before you open the book, you were like a bull. You were able to rip trees with your teeth out of the ground. Open a Sefer Gemara, open Chumash, open anything. All of a sudden, like Mamash, there's like a plague on you. You're dying. You're sleeping, you can't, you can't move. Pain, tooth pain, ear pain, this pain, that pain. Why? You open Sefer Torah. All of a sudden, you're like narcoleptic. You know, narcolepsy is, is people have the uh, disease. They talk to you, talk to you, all of a sudden, boop, they fall asleep. All day you are alive like a lion, open Sefer Torah, fall asleep like a baby. I don't know why they say fall asleep like a baby. These babies don't fall asleep. They don't sleep. My babies go to sleep at 3 o'clock in the morning. They, I'm competing with them. They don't sleep. I don't know why they say sleep like a baby. My babies don't sleep, God bless them. I think the guy that made the quote never had any kids. That's what happened. Never had any kids. So, Rabbi Meir tells you basics. Base, you see all these Mishnayot are very basic. 
very basic principles of Torah. He says, less work, more Torah. Why? The, the prime reason for your existence is learning and following Torah. Business, Hashem is going to give it to you one way or another. Never turn your life to such an extent, which unfortunately all of us are victims of, where business becomes priority and Torah becomes secondary. Our goal in life is to make Torah priority and business something we do in order to learn Torah. That's the goal in life. The goal in life is not to make business priority. It's to make Torah priority. Now this is very hard for people because the Satan convinces you with genius arguments. He says, listen, it's very nice this rabbi is telling you go learn Torah and uh, no business and less business and all business. But hey, who pays for the CDs that he has? Who pays for the organization Bezat Hashem? Who pays for the rent? Who pays for the car? Who pays for the food? He needs money. Even him, not talking about themselves. Talking about he needs money. So people donate. If they don't work, there's no donations. So if I work, so now he's, now the Yetzirah goes a step further. He goes, Lee, maybe people are not donating much. So I have to work extra so I can give him more donation. Because if I, a million times I've heard this. Once I become rich, I'm going to donate all my money to Kiruv. Once I have this million dollars, ten million dollars, hundred million dollars, whatever million, zillion dollar dreams that people have, once I have that, I'm going to donate zillions, half of it, I'm going to give to Kiruv. Oh, I bought this lotto, Kvodarav. Oh, great. How much is it? It's 500 million dollars. Well, psh, good luck to you. No, no, Kvodarav, you should, you, should, you should pray for this. Why? Half of it's going to you. I'm in. I'm in. One time, there was a guy came to a rabbi. He says, Kvodarav, I want you to pray for me to your God that I win this lotto ticket, $10 million. Says, no problem. I'll pray for you. A week passes, nothing. He didn't win. He goes, Kvodarav, what happened? Sometimes our prayers are not answered. Sometimes Hashem says, no. Because what kind of God is this? No, pray for me. I'm harder. Fine, fine, fine. Listen, Kvodarav, I'll up the ante. Last time I said I was going to give him a sale. I was going to give one million. This time, tell him I'm giving you half. Rabbi says, Amen. No problem. I'll pray. He goes, I'm giving you half, Kvodarav. No problem praying. Five million to me, five million to you. With Shutafim. We're partners. No problem praying for you all week. Gemara, toss for everything. I'm going to learn for you. Another week passes. No money. The guy says, ah, this guy's not serious. He goes to the uh, church. Avodazara over there. He goes, hey, uh, priest. Go, you know, put down your idol for a second. Come over here. He goes, yeah, I was uh, just uh, washing uh, JC. He had some uh, syrup on his eyes. We pretended like it was blood. What happened? Listen, I want you to pray for me. So I win the lotto. I give half to the church. No problem, pray for you. Next day, jackpot, $10 million. The guy, the next day, he's driving in his brand new car, and he passes by the church, and he passes by the synagogue, and his friend is in the car. And as soon as he passes by the church, he looks at it, and he looks at the, you know, says, you know, like this, and he looks at the synagogue, and he starts laughing. His friend says, why are you laughing? He goes, ah, the God of Israel is not a sucker. He knew I'm not, not going to pay. 
The God of Israel is not, he's not he knew I'm not going to pay. That's a good one. So, that's the thing. So, everybody says, listen, once I make this deal, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to give money to Kiruv. I'm going to save Neshamot. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Da, 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 da. But I have a question for you. What makes you think, what part of the Torah did you learn that makes you think that your Yetzirah is not going to grow with your bank account? What makes you think that your desire, right now, 100%, you say you're going to give, you, right now, I believe you, right? But I believe you that if you had it, you'd give. But you don't have it. That's why you have no Yetzirah for it. What makes you think that your Yetzirah doesn't change with your bank account? What makes you think that once you have the money, you're still going to want to give just like you wanted to give when you didn't have? Everybody says, I'm going to give what I don't have. One guy, they came to him, they said, listen, we want to make sure that you are uh, worthy of being one of the uh, sergeants of the Caesar. Okay, ask, what do you need? We need to see your loyalty. No problem. What? Because your donkey, would you give it to the Caesar? No problem. Give it to him right away. Your cow, your cow, you give it to the Caesar? No problem on the spot. You ask, I give. Okay, good. So far, so good. Your chicken. You give your chicken, he goes, hey, no, no, no chicken, no chicken. Not giving you no chicken. Think, this guy is crazy. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. Give the cow, give the donkey. I give a chicken. They throw him out. Like, this guy doesn't even have a profile. You know, the profile, they try to test the profile from 1 to 10. This guy's not even a 1. He's like, wait, the donkey, the chick. What's wrong with you? They kick him out. One of his friends asked him outside, he goes, what's wrong with you? The donkey, the cow, you give, but chicken you wouldn't give? I mean, if anything, it should be the opposite. Because no, no, listen, let me tell you something. Donkey, I don't have. Cow, I don't have. Chicken, I have. I'm not giving him my chicken. Something I don't have, I give it to them anytime. I have a don- I don't have a donkey. Take it, though. Cow, I don't have. They want to give me a cow, I'll give it back to them. No problem. But my chicken, I'm getting my chicken. I'm not giving my chicken. People want to give away the stuff they don't have all the time. All the time they want to give it. I'll give you a million. I'll give it. No, but that's not the test. Hashem says now is the test. Now, now you're making $500 a week. Now it's time to give Marcel. That's the test. So Rabbi Meir says, listen, you're trying to overwork because you think that if you make more money, you're going to give more to Torah or you're going to be able to learn more Torah. Who says? Who says you're right? Yetzirah changes with your bank account. Your Yetzirah changes with your bank account. He's going to grow with the bank account. So you think that you're going to make more money and therefore you're going to have more time to retire. You're going to say, listen, I'm going to work 20, 30 years for my pension. Once I'm on pension, I'm leaving everything. I'm only learning to offer morning to night. Yetzirah shows up in your pension party. He says, hey, how are you? He goes, oh, what are you doing here? You were with me for 30 years. He goes, no, 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 I left you alone for 30 years. You were working. I didn't bother you. He goes, what are you doing here now? He goes, now I'm here for the stay. Now I'm here for the retirement. To make sure you don't learn one ounce of Torah. That's the Yetzirah. Don't try to fool him. It doesn't work. Only way is give him the portion of Torah when it's hard for you. When the kids are crying, when the wife is complaining, when the husband doesn't want, when da, 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 all this stuff, that's when you learn Torah. That's when you learn Torah. It's not supposed to be easy. And to think that if you have more money, it's going to change things. It's not going to change anything. It's going to make it more hard, more difficult.
So that's the first rule Rabbi Meir says, very, very simple, very simple, but very difficult at the same time. It's very simple, but very, very difficult. Why? Because Yetzirah, you can't see him unless you look for him. Everybody thinks the Yetzirah is nothing. They don't believe in it. That's his biggest genius. He convinced you he doesn't even exist. He, nothing, nothing. So that's the first thing. Rabbi Uda Leib Ashlag, Allah Shalom, says chasing money is one of the most foolish things in the world. Why is it the most foolish things in the world? Because imagine someone hoarding currency, hoarding cash, which the government announced that it's going to be taken out of circulation soon. Someone is collecting all the cash he can find, but the government made an announcement, all of this currency is not going to be valid anymore. We're coming out with new currency. And this one, once it's out of circulation, it's worth nothing. Like what happened in India recently. What happened in Venezuela, pretty much. The currency is down 99.9% practically. It's worthless. What's happening in different governments that are corrupt around the world, that's one of the ways they pretty much steal everybody's money without doing anything. They make the currency worthless. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not intentionally, but the point is, it happens. Here he's saying, Rabbi Uday is saying, hey, listen, someone chasing money, it's like someone trying to collect as much cash of a currency that's about to be canceled. Why? Eventually he dies. All the cash he gathered for 70, 80, 90 years is worthless. Can't take him with him. In Allah Abba, you can't take your cash with you. Doesn't matter how much you have, 20, 30, 40, 50 million. Worthless. It's out of out of circulation in Allah Abba. It's not worth anything. You spend your whole life collecting money you're not even going to use. And that's what Shlomo Amedach says in Ecclesiastes. He says the rich, what do they do? They collect, 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 collect money their whole life just to give it to somebody else. They themselves never use it. Because that's one of the vanities of the world. That's one of the things that's mamash, like a difficulty to understand how could such a thing be. But it's our own foolishness that causes this. The foolishness of man causes him to sin against God and then he gets mad at God for punishing him. It's your fault. You did it. So, the Chafetz Chaim says that the world calls, says this, there's a saying called, uh, time is money. Time is money. He says, but I say that money is time. That's what Chafetz Chaim says. I also heard this from uh, Rav Mizrahi. Sheikhye. He says this also all the time. He says, money is time. What does it mean, money is time? He goes, in order to chase, in order to get this money, you have to spend an enormous amount of time. Now let's say you have an excuse. I need to spend this time to get money so I can buy more books, more Sifret Torah. The Chafetz Chaim says, even if it's for Sifret Torah, it's not worth it. Why? Read the books. Learn from the books you already have. The amount of time you're going to spend to go make money, to get money, to go buy Torah, use that time to go learn Torah that you already have. You have five books, that's enough. You don't have to have 500 books. 
Sometimes you go to people's houses, they have 500 books, they read three. 500 books they have. They look, they like the way it looks. But they read three books, maybe. And it's like half the first one. Second one, they skipped over a little bit. And the fourth one, they skimmed. The rest of them are brand new. Nothing, and never touched. People like to buy books, but not read them. He says, don't, don't, while you're spending all this money to make an excuse, yet a lot of books. Yetzirah is telling you, go buy books, buy books, buy books. Just don't read them. So you always feel like you're becoming more tzaddik because you have more books. This is, this is a, a serious problem all over the place. People do things to make themselves feel like they're tzaddikim, but they're not doing anything to become tzaddikim. So for example, you have people that go to reform and conservative ch- uh, churches or synagogues, whatever you want to call them, and you know they say that they're praying. They go to Beknesset on Shabbat, but they drive on Shabbat, but they feel like tzaddikim, even though they're violating Shabbat, by driving on Shabbat, by eating non-kosher on Shabbat, by cooking on Shabbat, by doing all these things that are violating Shabbat, but they go to synagogue to pray, so they feel like tzaddikim. They're not doing anything to become tzaddikim, but they feel like tzaddikim because they went to Beknesset. Same thing with the church. You have 50, 100, 200, 300,000 people show up at the stadium-sized church where they tell you, listen, just give 10% or more of your salary, you're tzaddik. You don't have to do anything. You have to keep Shabbat, you have to keep kosher, you can murder, you can steal, you can rape, you can do whatever you want. Just give money. So they, what do they do? They give money. Everybody gives the church. There's no such thing as not giving money. Everybody gives money. Why? That's my ticket to be tzaddik. That's my ticket to murder. That's my ticket to steal. That's my ticket to cheat. That's my ticket to be immodest. That's my ticket to do whatever I want. It's not believe that some guy died for you. It's paying for him. Somehow he needs money all the time. Guy is dead 2,000 years. He still needs money. For what? So they can build bigger stadiums to convince more fools to follow this stupidity. But why do they do it? Because it makes them feel like tzaddikim. Makes them feel righteous. How about being righteous? Many people buy books. It can be Sefer Torah. It can be holy books. But they don't read them. They say, listen, I need to work. I need to work overtime. I need to work three jobs. I need to work this big job. I need to do this. Why? Look how many books I have. You think these books came by themselves? I got five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000 worth of books. Buddy, you don't need $10,000 worth of books. Take one for $30 and read it. That's it. Read it. You don't have the 30 I'll give it to you. I'll give you the book for free. You don't need to return the $10,000. Who told you to go work nonstop for books that you're not going to read? doesn't make you tzaddik. You know how many people have collections of the Zohar in their house? And no one knows how to read it. No one knows how to read it. Even in the kolel, even in people that learn Torah all day, all night, many of them don't know how to read it. And even if they know how to read it, as far as pronouncing the words and understanding the words, they don't understand the deep meaning of it. That's why the sages say, you're not even allowed to study Zohar until you're 40 years old and complete expert in everything else. But you have a bunch of people that are amearits, meaning complete ignoramus, but they have Zohar in their library. Why do you have Zohar? What are you going to do with it? No, the rabbi told me that uh, the salesman really called himself a rabbi. The salesman told me that uh, it's holy to have it in the house. No. It's holy to read it. It protects you. No. Mezuzah protects you. The book you're supposed to read. If you can't read it, it's not going to do anything for you. 
All you're going to do is give the, the salesman slash rabbi money. So that's the thing. It's the Yetzirah appears in different ways. Different ways. He attacks in different ways. He sneaks in. He sneaks in. He's like the dirt under your nails. You don't know where it came from. The whole day you were in the office typing, somehow at the end of the day your, your, your nails are black. How? What happened? I, I, I didn't work in the dirt. That's the Yetzirah. He appears. So he appears in business all the time. All the time. One time, there was a poor guy looking for a ride, trying to hitchhike. A guy picks him up on his wagon. And he sees the guy is, uh, instead of sitting down and relaxing for the ride, it's going to be a long ride, sees the guy is standing and he's still holding up his bag. He says, hey, you know, you could sit down. He goes, no, come on, I'm already... Too much for you. Not only are you giving me a ride, you want to carry my bags too? I'm carrying it for you. He says, you fool. Once you're on the, once you're on the wagon, I'm carrying you in the, in the bag without you carrying it. The sages say, this is us. This is us when we try to work overtime. This is us when we try to make extra money to help Hashem give us panasah. You're already on the wagon. You already know Hashem is carrying you. Now that you're actually finally fulfilling His will, finally you're learning Torah. Finally you're doing mitzvot. Now you decide I'm going to help Him out. Who needs your help, Ikhlal? You're already on His wagon. You think He needs your help? He's already carrying you anyway. Why would He carry you less by you learning Torah? It doesn't make any sense. When you weren't learning Torah, when you weren't doing mitzvot, He was giving you panasah anyway. Now you're doing mitzvot. Now you're learning Torah. All of a sudden, he's going to take away panasah from you. Why? If anything, it's the opposite. Give you more. So why do you think you need to work more? You don't need to work more. Work what you need to work. Not more, not less. Nine hours a day, work nine hours a day. Work normal schedule. Don't be one of these people who works 18 jobs. I met this one person. They told me they have three jobs. I said, when do you sleep? I said, in between the jobs. 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there. I'm like, I'll vie a lie that I could sleep 15 minutes. That's David HaMelech. If you use that time to learn Torah, you wouldn't even need to work. If you could actually have that much stamina that you could work that many jobs, only sleep 15 minutes in between jobs, you should learn Torah. You'd be David HaMelech. You'd be Mashiach. Bukhar. So people constantly think they need to help God. You don't need to help anybody. You don't need to help God. You just need to help yourself by learning more Torah. So, now, the next thing that Rabbi uh, Mirbalanes uh, says is that, okay, now you finally got the point. Whatever you work, you're going to work. You want more proof? You have Gemara. Gemara Maseret Rosh Hashanah, page 16. Gemara Maseret Beitza, page 16. On, on Rosh Hashanah, it's 16a. On Beitza, it's 16b. It says, Hashem Barach decided what Parnassah you're going to get on Rosh Hashanah. From Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah, you decide what, what Parnassah you're going to get. So it's already in your written Torah, in your oral Torah, proof. So you know Parnassah, whether you work overtime or under time, you're going to get the same thing. Don't kill yourself. Now, once you got that point through your head, you're working a schedule, 
Yetzirah didn't leave. You think Yetzirah left. You don't know Yetzirah then. What did Yetzirah do? Yetzirah says, look at you. Look at you. You work a full schedule. On top of that, you're studying four hours a day. You, psh, Tamit Chacham already. The guy just learned Alachot Shabbat last week. You're Tamit Chacham. They shouldn't talk to you that way. They should call you Rabbi. They should uh, look at you, look straight up. You know, they should give you respect, give you honor. What is this guy saying to you? How can he talk to you? Show this. You want this guy? All of a sudden, you want people to give you honor. Why? Because you learned a couple hours of Torah. You're already learning for three, four years. These people don't know anything. Nobody knows anything. Only you know. Only you know. Nobody knows anything. You're the only one that knows. Even your rabbi doesn't know. You're already smarter than your rabbi. So what? He's been learning for 25 years. So what? You already know more than him. You're smarter than him. Hashem gave you special siyata bishmaya. You're special. You're Moshe Rabbeinu. You're Rabbi Akiva. You're Rabbi Meir. All of a sudden, Yitzhak goes into you. Why? Because you're learning a few hours a day for a little while. All of a sudden, Yitzhak came in a different way. He goes, oh, okay. You beat me at the business? No problem. I show up inside the Chumash. In the Chumash, I show up. In the Chumash, I'll be. I'll show you. Every time you get a Chidush, it's going to be the wrong Chidush. What kind of Chidush? You're going to start becoming your own commentary. You're not reading Rashi anymore. One time I met this guy, pretended to be a tzaddik, wore all white. He wore all, I, I somehow, Hashem Bach sends me all these, all these different special cases. This guy wore all white. But not all white during, you know, all white all the time. Thought he was maybe an angel or something. Wore all white. And uh, he pretended to be a Kabbalist or something like that. Anyone that wears all white and pretends to be a Kabbalist is not a Kabbalist, he's not anything. He doesn't know anything, Bechal. And this guy proved that he didn't know anything. I found out later on he's a complete fraud. Anyway, this little white angel of death uh, decided that rips people off. Uh, decided that, uh, you know, he wants to show off. So we're sitting in a living room in a friend of mine's house on Shabbat. And it's a bunch of us. He tells his helper, his helper... Listen, go get me the, uh, go get me the, uh, the Gemara. Give me the, the Gemara or the Zohar. It's one of the books that he says. So the guy has got up. He goes, no, no, but listen. Without Rashi, without Rashi. I don't want Rashi. Meaning no commentary at all. Nothing. Now even the biggest sages in history have commentary. The biggest Dorador of now. Of previous generations. Everyone has commentary. You have to know. You're right, you're wrong. Even if you know by heart, you double check. This guy, no, no, no commentary. I want the one without commentary. Why? He says, no, no. I know, I know. I know. At that second, I knew he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. Nothing he doesn't know. And I found I confirmed everything's right. Why? Yitzhak went inside his Gemara. Went inside his Gemara and says, oh, no, no. You know everything. You know everything. Why? You studied a little bit. You know more than everybody. Yitzhak appears in different ways. If you don't show up at work, he says, okay, I'll come to your Chumash, I'll come to your Shul Torah. I'll tell you, listen, the Shul, okay, so you did Shuva, you don't need the Shul anymore. At a bunch of times, people, they come to the Shul Torah, they come six months, a year, year and a half, they do Shuva, Baruch Hashem, they start becoming decent human beings outside of uh, the show, but really much better human beings, all of a sudden they stop coming to the Shul. Now, in the old days, I had a little more time in my hands, so I would call them and say, hey, what happened? I'm sure you're not coming. Oh, no, I don't have... In the beginning, it's excuses. I don't have time. I don't have this. I'm like, you had time for a year and a half. When you didn't believe anything, you had time. Now you believe in everything, you don't have time. Before, 
the job was the same. The business was the same. The wife was the same. Everyone was the same. And you didn't believe and you had time. Now you believe and you don't have time. What happened? So one time, one guy actually told me. He uh, asked him, how come you don't come to the shoe? He goes, ah, you know, I, I did tshuva already. I said, what? What do you mean? He goes, I did tshuva already. You know, your shul, it's, 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 for, it's for brand new people. It's for brand new people. It's not, I did tshuva already. I said, oh, it's for brand new people. So he did tshuva. He showed up to the shul, few shulim, he started keeping Shabbat. That's it. He doesn't need to come to shul to lie anymore. He doesn't need to come to shul to lie anymore. So this, Arab Nisim again, Allah Shalom, said a wonderful analogy. About Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu and Sarai Menu, they were known as the first monotheistic people. Even Avram Avinu's father, Terach, was an idol worshiper. He'd sold idols. So Avram Avinu was mamash by himself. Only believer in God in the world. Now Avram would convert all of the people, all the men, and Sarah would convert all the women. Make them become monotheistic, believe in God. There was no conversion process like today. There was no bedin. But meaning they leave the idol that you just bought from my father and uh, come to Hashem. But it says in the Gemara that every, they converted every, mamash, millions of people. But eventually nothing was left except one student. Only one student remained loyal to Hashem. Everybody else went back to becoming idol worshippers. How could it be? All that work of Ramavinu, you, know you know how hard it is to get one person to do tshuva? Imagine a hundred, imagine a thousand, imagine ten thousand, imagine a hundred thousand to get that many people to do tshuva and all of it is gone? I want to cry saying the story, forget about living it. What happened? Rav Nisim again says, ah, here's the chidush. What's the chidush? Those hundred thousand, one million, or however many people that did tshuva originally became monotheistic, they came to a few shurim and stopped coming. Eliezer, Eliezer, stuck with Avraham Avinu for the rest of his life. Why? Because he knew that for the doctor to really, really work, it's continuous medicine. It's follow-up appointments. You can't just go to the doctor, take Advil, and it's finished. You, my friend, have a spiritual disease. Once you have a spiritual disease, it doesn't go away. It never goes away. It adapts. It, it changes. It changes. It mutates. So in the beginning, you were an atheist. Okay, now you're not an atheist. Now you have Yetzirah for something else. But now he likes women too much, other than his wife. Okay, so we work on that. Okay, now he's loyal to his wife, but he likes money too much. Even the money is not his. Then this, then the, your, your Yetzirah changes. That's where you can't go to Shul Torah and finish. It has to be follow-up appointments. Eliezer, Eliezer was Nimrod's son. Nimrod was, made himself into an idol. Nimrod, Rasha Merusha, made himself into an idol. He said, after he saw what Avraham Avinu was, he said to his son, listen, I'm, not, I'm, I'm finished. But you, it's better you be a slave to Avraham Avinu than a king after me or next to me. Better you be his slave. So Eliezer got to a point where he went to Gan Eden alive. Alvai, we all go there dead to Gan Eden. 
He went into Gan Eden alive. Why? Follow up shoe, follow up shoe, follow up shoe, follow up shoe. Never left his rabbi. Never left. Everybody else left the rabbi, gone. This has nothing to do with me. This is already Avraham Avinu 4,000 years ago. And it had nothing to do with this is a brand new shield. This is only for Baalei Tshuva. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Anyone that wants to do Tshuva must go to Shuret Torah every single week. Every opportunity you have, you go to Shuret Torah. Of course, you have to learn from books also. But you must attend Shuret Torah. Not just watch them online. If you're able to attend the Shuret Torah, attend it. If you live in the middle of nowhere... Or your rabbi is far away, he's in New York or he's in uh, Florida and you're in Arkansas or Australia or somewhere far away, you can't attend, it's different. But if you can attend, you must attend the Shiur Torah. That's the Siyat Dishmaya, that's the special assistance from heaven. But if you're not going to attend, you're just going to coast, think everything's going to be okay, you're opening double doors for the Yetzirah to interfere. Double, not one door, two doors. Go ahead. Uh, if you can uh, elaborate a little bit more, what was the reaction of Eliezer when Abraham Avinu defeated him? Uh, he was his son. Yes, and it, it, well, I mean, the thing is, though, is that Abraham Avinu didn't just defeat Nimrod, he made fun of him first. Oh. He made fun of him first because Nimrod said, I'm God, bow to me. Right. Abraham Avinu says, What God? Last week you had a backache. This week you have diarrhea. Next week you're probably going to have a foot fungus. What God? You're nothing. He made fun of him. So, and he said, well, you want me to jump into the Burn me? No problem. I'll jump into the fire. And he jumped into the fire. You don't have to throw me in the fire. I jump into the fire. He jumped into the fire. Now the people that tried taking him to the fire themselves got burned. Just from how hot the fire was. So when they saw that Avram jumped into the fire... For sure, he's not only dead, he's dead in Olam Batu, he has to be. But then they start seeing there's two images walking in the fire. Two, not one, two. Why? The angels went to Hashem and said, Hashem, let us save this, this only monotheistic person, only person that believes in all of the world. Let us go to let us save him. He says, no, no, no. He's one alone over there, I'm one alone over here. I'm going to save him myself. And Hashem Barach went down into the fire and saved Avraham Avinu himself and walked with him. And he says, you've been looking for me, here I am. You're willing to die for me before you knew me, here I am. So now Avraham Avinu is dancing in the fire. Eventually it becomes a joke because everybody's like, listen, uh, Nimrod. He's not only not dying, he's celebrating in the fire and there's two. He multiplied, something happened. So Nimrod, okay, okay, no, no. Get him out of here already. He's killing my system. Everybody's going to become Chosel uh, B'Tshuva because of him. Everybody's going to do, everybody's going to do Tshuva because of this guy. He's going to kill my entire kids. It's going to be a revolution of Tshuva. Get him out of here. Hey, take my son and go out. Nimrod knew it was the truth, but well, he's not going to lose his business. He was tied to money. So now... Rabbi Meir says, first and foremost, don't underestimate your Yetzirah to think that it's only going to be in your business. It's also going to be in your Torah. How is it going to be in your Torah? It's going to be in your Torah think, making you think you're too smart. You're smarter than everybody else. You're better than everybody else. You're over-righteous. All of a sudden, you know everything, nobody knows anything. Baal says some people become, get to such a point where 
didn't want to have a rabbi. I had one guy, stopped having a rabbi. Why? He goes, no, I know better than my rabbi. What do you mean you know better than a rabbi? He just did tshuva five years ago, four years ago. Your rabbi is a rabbi for 30 years, 30, 40 years. How do you know more than your rabbi? No, no, I, I, I read the Gemara, I understand everything. He said, oh, you know, so did you read Masechet Yomah? No, no, I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, Masechet Yomah, page 119 says, someone doesn't have a rabbi, God hates him. Did you read that yet? Did you get to that part? Even Rav Ovadia had a rabbi. You don't have a rabbi? You bowed tshuva five years? You little puppy, you have a rabbi? Everybody has to have a rabbi. But sometimes Yetzirah gets into your Torah, destroys you. Destroys you from inside. Then he continues and he says, If you neglected the study of Torah, you will have many excuses to neglect it. This doesn't even need that much commentary. This doesn't need that much commentary. Why? All of us have neglected Torah at some point. How? We say, one minute, one minute, let me finish this show, and then I'll read. One minute, one minute, let me finish this call, and then I'll learn. One minute, one minute, let me eat this extra meal. And One minute, one minute, one minute, let me finish this text. Let me finish this email. Let me finish this, let me finish that. Next thing you know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you have no energy, you have to go to sleep. No Torah. He says, if you be told, if you're mevatel Torah, if you neglect the Torah by making other things, number one, you're never going to run out of excuses. There's always going to be an oversupply of excuses to not learn Torah. This is one of the things that the Yetzirah is an expert. Expert, he's the best. He's good at all the things. This is the best. To give you excuses of why you can't learn Torah, the best. Phone calls. Text messages, internet doesn't work, the book is boring, you're tired, the wife is crying, the kids are crying, the neighbors are crying, the garbage is here, the garbage is there. Whatever you want, he's going to make it up. Whatever is relevant to you, he's going to make it up right there and then when you're supposed to learn Torah. I'm, Mamash, this is something that's talking to me because there's constantly issues. When you deal with the public, it's very different to know what's important what's not. Very different. Because every time somebody texts me, emails me, or calls me, it's always emergency. It's always emergency. No, 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 I need to talk to you right now. I need to talk to you right now. What, what, tell me what it is. What do you, I need to talk to you right now. It's really, really, really urgent. Okay, you call the guy. Should I go to this Bikneset or the other one? That's not an emergency, man. That's not an emergency. You could have just texted me. You could have just emailed me, waited until, I don't know, whenever I answered you. That's not an emergency. That's not fair. Everything is an emergency. What happens? Now, Baruch Hashem, when you have a lot of people, what happened? You never I don't answer the phone, ever. I don't answer the phone. I tell people, send me text message, send me an email, send me a WhatsApp voice, whatever you want. Send me something else and give me an idea of what you want to talk about. And I'll decide myself if it's an emergency or not. 99% of the time, it's not an emergency. 99, the 1% that's an emergency, no problem. Usually, I know where the emergency is based on who it is because... The people that never want to talk to me on the phone, like not that they don't want to, but just we don't talk on the phone. If they ever tell me, listen, I need to talk to you, I pick up the phone and I call them. Why? I know this guy's talking. I know this guy, serious guy, he's not wasting time. I call him. Why? I'll stop whatever I'm doing. I'll call him. But the people that want to talk to me all the time, I never pick up the phone. Why? I don't have time. There's no. First of all, I've never been a small talk type of person. I don't small talk. Surely, might do it for the entertainment purposes, but in general, I don't small talk. 
I've never been good at it. I'm not interested in it. I wasn't interested in it in the business world. I'm, not, I'm definitely not interested in this world. I, just, I don't do small talk. If I don't have anything to say, I don't talk. People like to talk. I don't have the time. Why? You have, I don't know, thousands of people looking for my time. And if there's none of them, there's my family. I mean, if not that, there's Torah. So it's tough. Because there's always somebody that's saying it's an emergency. Now, what's the biggest emergency? Is I need to learn. Why? Because if I don't learn, you're not going to learn either. So you have to find time. You have to find time to learn. You have to steal time. 15 minutes here. An hour there. 15 minutes there. But it's tough. Why? Because the real learning has to be consecutive and has to be at least two hours. Minimum two hours of consecutive learning without talking. That's real learning. You could steal 15 minutes here, 5 minutes there, 10 minutes there. Sure, I do that all the time. And anyone should do it. But real learning, you only start after about 2 hours. You start like getting into it. Like my mom's like getting it after 2 hours. When does that happen? Usually in the middle of the night. Why? Because there's no way that someone is not going to need my time at some point during the day. So now you have the people that need your time. Marriage issues, business issues, health issues, this issue, that is no no end to the tzarot of Am Yisrael, unfortunately. On top of that, I have an organization now to run. You have Bezot Hashem as a real organization. You have Baruch Hashem, an app, a website, a TV station, uh, CDs, rabbis in different places, Avrechim. Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of stuff going on. All that stuff needs somebody to run it. Until I find a replacement, or two, or three, or ten, I have to do it. So you have to steal time. You guys, Baruch Hashem, you have mamash gold in your hand. You have one job. You have one job. You go to your job, you work nine hours, ten hours, whatever. You work, you go home, you relax. Steal the Torah that you can. Don't waste your time. I wish I could study Torah like I used to. I wish. If it was up to me, give me a cave, give me a few gmarot, leave me alone, don't talk to me for the next 20 years. But it's not my time anymore. Why? Because, unfortunately... We need Amisad to do tshuva. And the more people that do what I do, the better. So that's why I try to actually also recruit people that I know if they could speak and they know a few things and they're shame it, I try to recruit them, tell them to go speak. So there's one guy actually I'm working on right now, uh, two people, but one of them specifically is serious, that I'm trying to get him to go start giving a shiur Torah. Bezat Hashem, hoping after the Chagim, he's going to start giving shiur Torah every week to a group of guys here in Florida. And I know he's Ishemit. And listen, it's, uh, we need people to, do, to, to help people do tshuva. Teachers of Torah, there's plenty. We don't need that. We need people that say truth. That's hard. That's hard to find. So, levatel Torah to waste time is very easy. But what does it mean when it says that you can have many excuses on top of that? It says, Yesh lecha betelim arbe kenegdecha. It says you can have many excuses, but if you translate it Literally, it says that the excuses are going against you. Negdecha means against you. Against you. So what does it mean against you? In uh, Rav and Rabbeinu Yonah both say the same thing. It says if you neglect Torah, there are many things that Hashem created that are unoccupied. They have nothing to do and they're waiting for you to waste time so they can go and be used as tools to punish you. What are these things? Bugs, animals, uh, rocks, all types of things that Hashem created. 
For what? To be used as mamash weapons to punish men. They have nothing else to do. They were created for that. So Rav and Rabbeinu Yonah say mash mamash, something scary. It says, there are many things that Hashem Yitbarach created that are unoccupied, which can easily be employed as agents to punish you. Wicked men and wild animals that are uninvolved in anything positive stand ready to inflict divine retribution for the neglect of Torah study. They specifically were created just to punish people. Not in all that. We're not talking about genome. Talk about this world. So how, how is this applied in real life? How is this applied? Hold on a second. I have to turn this battery on. Um, how is this applied in real life? The guy wants to sit, open book. Finally, opens Perkeavod, Gemara, whatever you will open. Somebody calls. He doesn't have to answer. He answers the phone. Hey, Joey, what's going on? What's up, man? Oh, how was the game? Hey, listen, what'd you eat? You, you want to go out tonight? Small talk. Small, everybody loves small talk. Fifteen minutes later, okay, I'm going to go back to my phone. You read five, ten minutes like you're doing God a favor. Phone rings again. Oh, Steve, you're coming. I just spoke to Joey 15 minutes ago. Yeah, we're going to go to ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. We're going to eat trauma. You're going to come. We're going to... 15 minutes small talk. Go back. You're studying three, four, five, six minutes like you're doing God a favor. Another. Hey, Yoram. How are you? Ta-ta-ta. Next thing you know, two hours have passed. You studied maybe 20 minutes. In reality, it's like two and a half minutes. But you've spoken on the phone for an hour and a half. But you think you're tzaddik. Oh, I, I spent two hours with the book open today. Yeah, the book was open, but you didn't read it. The book was open, but you didn't read it. Sometimes you have people that go to yeshiva, go to kolos, all day outside smoking cigarettes. Mamash chilul Hashem. They say they're, they're avrechim, they go to kolel, but all day outside on the phone smoking cigarettes. This is the people that create a problem for Am Yisrael that are learning Torah. Why? Because all the people that are going against those people, say go to the army, go to the army, go to the army, why does they go to the army? Because they see a bunch of people outside smoking cigarettes, talking on the phone. If everyone was inside the court learning Torah like they're supposed to, this wouldn't be a problem. We'd say, they're learning Torah, you wouldn't even see them out of sight, out of mind. You wouldn't see them to think about them. But if you see them outside all day smoking cigarettes and on the phone, they're like, why is this guy here? What is he doing? Why is he not doing anything? You're not thinking... His father is rich, he pays for it. You're, not, you're just thinking there's a guy, the government's paying for it, even though it's not true. But the point is, in the mind of the anti-Torah, it's true. If it's true, in his mind, it's true already. So, people don't realize the outcome of their actions many times. And Rav and Rabbeinu Yonah say, listen, you want to waste time? No problem, Hashem has specific job for people like you. He sends you... The flat tire. He sends you the tick. He sends you the wart. He sends you the rock. He sends you all these different things that he created for no reason. What's the reason? For people like you. Mosquito. mosquito. The mosquito has to do a job. His whole life was created to, to bite somebody. Who? You have to be, be the guy. Why? You waste time. So what happens? What's the biggest punishment that happens? The Rambam says the biggest punishment. The biggest punishment from Vatil Torah is when you lose your merit to learn Torah. What does it mean, lose your merit to learn Torah? 
all of a sudden you wasted all day. You had all day to learn to learn. It's Sunday. No work. Your wife went on vacation. You had mamash 12, 14, 15, 16, 18 hours to learn. I don't know how much you sleep. You had a lot of time to learn. Okay, you ate. Okay, you went to the bathroom. Okay, you made another couple of calls that were necessary. You had a dog, you had to walk out. Whatever it was, you did a few things. Fine. But you had, you had some time to learn, right? You wasted all day. Finally, there's two, three hours left to the day. And it's like, ah, oh, I'm going to learn. It's 8 o'clock. It's still early. You're able to learn. You're wired. You got the Gemara that you want to learn. You got the thing you need to learn. You open the book. And all of a sudden, something happens. There's a, there's a, lights are out. No electricity. Why? Power outage in the whole neighborhood, or just your house, whatever it is. Why? Why does it happen? Why? Doesn't Hashem want me to learn Torah? No. Not anymore. Why? You don't deserve it. Learning Torah, learning Torah is a prize. It's a reward. It's not just an obligation. It's a reward. Why? It's Samachayim. It's the potion of life. If you've wasted 18 hours of the day, and finally you're showing up here, you could have studied 18 hours, you could have studied 8 hours, you could have studied 6 hours, but finally you're doing God a favor, oh, i got 3 hours, I have nothing to do. I want to burn time. I want to burn time. Hashem says, don't worry, you don't need to burn time, go to sleep. No Torah for you. It happens. It happens. So that's, unfortunately, one of the scary things that happens when you mivatel Torah. Last but not least, about someone that, as far as the, um, someone who decides that, you know what, I'm going to learn Torah whenever I get a chance. It's not really a priority in their life. And even after knowing that it's an important thing to do in life. See, Satan even sends dogs to lectures. No problem. He wants to acknowledge him. We acknowledge him. Now he's going to leave now. He got his attention. He's going to leave soon. Or he's gonna, he wants to talk also. He wants to talk over me. What are you going to say? Chidush. 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 I never heard that, Mishnah. No Mishnah. No Mishnah. So, no, it's good. When you have inter- when you have... Satan showing up as a dog, it's good. Why? It's working. He lost it. All the other things didn't work. Baruch Hashem. This, this sukkah is holy. So you can't come in. So he has to come from the outside, little dog. So, there was a chidush I learned a week, two weeks ago. Gemara Masechet Pesachim. Page 49. Says, someone hasn't learned Torah, called Amaretz, an ignorant, one of the nation, but meaning he's an ignorant, he's in the Torah world, it's very different in the business world, why? If you become successful in business, so what? So what? A million people before you are successful, a million people right now are successful in business. You know how many successful people there are today in business? Every second person is successful in business. Some more, some less. Forbes 500. When I remember, when I first started reading Forbes, I mean, I stopped obviously a few years ago, but 
I remember 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, I had my first issue of Forbes. I was still in my teens, late teens. And I told you guys last week, last week, or two weeks ago, we had a shoe. It's all the same people, a few younger guys, but most of them is the same people, just older. But back then, Forbes 500, you had to have a billion or more to be on the Forbes 500. If I'm not mistaken, today, the lowest amount is like three or four billion. Meaning that there's a bunch of people that have a billion dollars or more that are not on the Forbes 500. They're not high enough. So meaning that the amount of successful people in the world has increased drastically in the last couple of decades, let alone the last century and over time. It's a huge amount of successful people. I remember when I was in the business world, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you made over $300,000 a year, you were considered one of the top 1% of earners in the entire world. Not just a country, in the entire world. Today it's probably close, but not the same. Statistics haven't changed worldwide the same way, but in America there's an enormous amount of successful people. All over the world there's successful people. But in America there's an obnoxious amount of successful people. Not all of them are billionaires, but there's plenty of millionaires. I remember when I was, you know, when I was a kid, I just started getting into the business world. If you had $10 million, you were considered rich. You were considered rich. You were considered very rich. $10 million. A million dollars. When I was a kid, million, you have a million dollars. You're a millionaire. Wow. million dollars? Now you have a million dollars? You're an average guy. You have a million dollars? How old are you? Oh, you're 50 or a million dollars? Oh, I'm not sure you're going to be able to retire. You're 50 years old with a million dollars. I'm not sure you're going to be able to retire. How are you going to retire? It costs more and more. The cost of living goes up and up and up and up every year, especially when you're in your 70s and your 80s, just for you to survive so people don't kill you in, the, in these homes. You have to spend $100,000 a year. With a million dollars a year, you're not going to survive. That's what the feeling they give you today because everything is so expensive. So with a million dollars, not that much money anymore. Especially if you don't have a God. So now, the amount of money people have has gone up drastically. The amount of successful people has gone up drastically. Every second guy is a young, successful guy. He's got a business, he's got a, an internet, on this. People don't even need to leave the house anymore to, to, to be successful. If Hashem wants them to be successful, they'll be successful. So, success... It's gone up drastically. That's business world. So if you're successful, it doesn't mean anything. Why? A million before you and a million after you will be successful in business. It's not a big deal at all. But Torah scholars, Talmit Chacham, to be mamash considered a Talmit Chacham, always been a diamond. Always been rare in every single generation, including the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu, including the generation of Rabbi Akiva, including the generation of Rabbi Meir Balanes, including the generation of the Rambam, including the generation of Rashi, including the generation of Ravovadia, including the generation of Magid Miduvna, all of them, every generation to be Talmit Chacham, always a diamond, always rare. Real diamonds really are not rare, by the way. They're just, it's, a, it's a false belief that diamonds are rare. They're completely not rare. At all. It's a complete false illusion that deers made up to the world. There's more diamonds than there's sand. 
But if they told you that, then diamonds that are worth $20,000 will go down to nothing. But for the analogy purposes, you get the point. Very, very rare to be Talmit Chacham. Very rare. You Talmit Chacham? People kiss your hand. They ask for blessing. Somebody's sick, they go to you. Somebody needs an answer. doesn't matter what the question is. Business, marriage, health, whatever it is. They go to the tzaddik. Why? It's rare. In every generation. Every gen- For people to say, that's That's the tzaddik. That's him? Always been rare. In every single generation, every century. Always been rare. That's special. But yet, more people chase the abundance of what we have already of successful businessmen and very few chase to be the Talmit Chacham. Why? Because the Yetzirah works on the Talmit Chacham to stay away from him. Why? Go become a businessman. Go be, I'll give you a million dollars. I'll give you a million dollars. Just go away. Don't be a Talmit Chacham. Especially if you have a brain. Especially if you have a brain. Especially if you have an extra special neshama. Don't be a Talmit Chacham. I'll go make you a millionaire. I'll go make you a millionaire. Go, go, go. Don't be a Talmit Chacham. Now, someone can have a brain, but be still considered Amaaretz, meaning one of the commoners. Nothing. The Gemara in Maseret Psachim says something very scary. It says, Amaaretz shouldn't be allowed, or really isn't allowed, to eat meat. He's not allowed to eat meat, meat meaning a cow. Not uh, Chicken is not really considered meat, by the way. According to the Torah, chicken is considered poultry, it's not considered meat. But Chazal, the sages, made it into meat where you're not allowed to eat it with milk, with dairy, because it looks too much like meat. Uh, but in reality, it's not. Either way, we follow what the sages say. We're not allowed to eat it with cheese. But here in the Gemara Maseret Psachim, the sages say specifically, Amaaretz, ignorant, person that's not Talmit Chacham, shouldn't be allowed to eat meat. Shouldn't be allowed. Why? Why not? What do you care if he eats meat, if he eats turkey, if he eats chicken, if he eats jello beans? What do you care? Because no. If he's Amaaretz, the cow is better than him. Cow is better than him. Why is the cow better than him? He's skin. Why? Because he doesn't know Torah? Because yes. Why? The cow is better than him because the cow, what's his job in life? Do moo all day. Moo, moo, moo. Give some milk, moo, moo. Sometimes it's moo, really good. He's fulfilling his purpose in life. This cow is fulfilling. Well, his job is to do moo. He does moo. He's fulfilling his purpose in life. What's his benefit? What's his schal for doing what he, the moo all day? Eventually, some kosher Jew, that's a tzaddik, that's tamit chacham, is going to slaughter him, sell him his kosher meat, Say a blessing, the neshama of the cow become, goes out, becomes elevated. You are so don't know anything. What are you going to do? You're not, probably not going to bless even. You're probably not even going to do a blessing. You're going to ruin him. Why? He doesn't deserve it. He's better than you. He's doing his job at least. That's, a, that's da Torah. This is what Torah feels. I know people are going to hate it. They're going to say, oh, you're too mean, you're too mean. It's not nice to say. That's what Torah says. Go argue with Chazal. What do you want for my life? It's not my opinion. That's what Chazal says. Gemara, Maser, Psachim, page 49b. Source. You want to go complain? Go complain to God. What do I care? I didn't write it. This is what Torah says. That's the opinion of Torah about someone who doesn't learn Torah. 
And last but not least, we're going to finish like this. It says the following. Vim amalta b'Torah. Vim amalta b'Torah. Yesh lo sachar beli ten lach. But if you labored in Torah, you worked hard, the excuses you had, but you overcame them. The problems you had, but you overcame them. Distractions you had, overcame them. You found a way to learn Torah every day. Every day you learn Torah, but not five minutes like you're doing God a favor. You learn Torah every day. Morning and night, you learn an hour here, two hours here. You're learning. At least as much time as you are wasting, you're learning Torah. Yes, lo sachar Yes, lo, meaning lo, God has a big reward to give you. God has a big reward to give you. So, Chazal explains this is not just a, war, a reward in Olam Abba. The real reward, by the way, for all of your mitzvot is Olam Abba. Chazal says that anything you get in this world is not really a reward. The Rambam specifically in Ilchot Shuva talks about it. He says anything you get in this world, it's not a reward. It's not a reward that's the real reward. It's just a token to allow you to do more mitzvot. Meaning, if you give tzedakah, you give ma'asel, Hashem gives you more money. Why does He give you more money? So, oh, look at that. He likes to give away my money. So let me give Him more of it. He likes my mitzvah. Let me give Him an, as a reward for that mitzvah. As another mitzvah. So, because he likes to give away my money to tzaddikim, to people that learn Torah, to people that do tshuva, to people that help people do tshuva, and so on and so forth, let me give him more money so he can do more mitzvot, so he can give away more of my money. Why? Hashem says, Lia kesef zav, Hashem Hashem says to the prophet, mine is the money, mine is the gold, says Hashem, master of legions. So, the money that he gives you is not really the reward. It's in essence a token of appreciation for the mitzvah you already did to enable you to do more mitzvot. Shem says, oh, look, he found a wife. He wants to fulfill the mitzvah of marriage. Let me give him not only a wife, I'll give him kids. So now he can educate the kids and he can fulfill the mitzvah. You educated your kids with Torah. Oh, look, he's doing it with one kid. Let me give him another kid. And let me give him another kid, and so on and so forth. Look, he gives you the reward of children. Why? Not because you need kids. But you're able to fulfill mitzvah with the kids. And everything that he gives you is in order for you to fulfill a mitzvah. Why is it all connected to mitzvot? Because the Rambam says, anyone that thinks that Hashem could pay you a reward in this world for any of your mitzvot is a complete fool. This is language of the Rambam. Is a complete fool who does not understand mitzvot. Why? He says because the smallest mitzvah, the smallest mitzvah, whatever you think is the smallest mitzvah, we don't really know what's the big mitzvah or small mitzvah. The smallest mitzvah, the smallest one. All of the good in the world that ever existed, for every man that ever existed, from the beginning of time until the end of time, cannot be enough reward for the smallest mitzvah. So there's, no, there's not enough money in the world to pay you for one mitzvah. You think he's going to pay you for tefillin, one of the big mitzvot? You think he's going to pay you for Shabbat, one of the big mitzvot? 
for Shlom Bayit, one of the big mitzvot that requires work every day, every night? Can't. It's not possible. He just gives you the ability to make more mitzvot. So Hashem Yitbarach has a lot to give you. Rabbi Meibananes says, "Im amalta b'Torah yesh lo sachar arbele tenlach." So he has a big reward to give you, but it's not only in Olam Abba. He also give you a reward here. And Shlomo Melech says in the same book of Ecclesiastics, Koralit, he says, "Enjoy the reward he gives you, even though it's not the purpose of life. Material is not, definitely not the purpose of life. If Hashem gives you ways to enjoy life, enjoy life. No problem. There's no problem with enjoying life. There's no problem with enjoying the good he gives you." Whether it's good weather or good food or good wife or good kids or money or whatever it is. There's no problem with enjoying life. No problem at all. Shlomo Melech writes it. Smartest man of all time. No problem. The problem is when you make it priority. When you make your whole life about enjoying material. That's a problem. But here Rabbi Meir gives you a chidush and he says the reward is not just in Olam Abba. It could also be here in this world. Easier time to make money. Instead of working 9 to 5 like everyone else, you could potentially work 9 to 11. You work 2 hours a day, but Hashem sends you upon size if you work for 8 hours. You have a job that you're there for 8 hours, but in reality it's a free time type of job. It's one of those jobs where you don't really have to do much. And you can read a Sefer Torah the whole day. A million countless ways... That Hashem has the ability to make your panasa that you're going to get easier to get. Why? So you have energy to learn Torah. So you have ability to learn Torah. The reward for your mitzvot can also be here. Or if let's say for example there's a decree in Shemaim. Chas v'shalom, somebody's supposed to die. Somebody's supposed to get sick. Hashem says, yeah, I, technically that person deserves to get sick. That person deserves to get death penalty. That person deserves to get all types of bad things. But if they get it, it's going to disturb my son that's learning Torah. He's not going to learn Torah next week because he has to go to the Shiva. He's not going to learn Torah next week because he's going to be depressed. He's not going to learn Torah next week because he's going to have to work overtime because he's going to have to help him with money. No, no, no. His Torah is worth more to me. He's not going to get sick because he has to learn Torah. He's not going to get sick because he has to learn Torah. So Rabbi Meir says... The reward is also in this world. This also answers the question of why sometimes you see the shine. People, mamash, everything against God they do. I don't think there's anything they do that's not against God. Even the mitzvot they do are not really good intention mitzvot. Like sometimes you see people that they try to run the joint, try to go to the Knesset once or twice a year, but they want to... Run the Beknesset. Why? Because they have money. They want to throw money around. Like this one guy that showed up at the Beknesset. The guy shows up at the Beknesset once, twice, three times a year. But there's not one law that he follows. He kisses the Sefer Torah like he even knows what's inside it. He doesn't actually read what it says. Complete kufil. Nasty attitude. Thinks he's running the world. And uh, forget about it. I don't care if he keeps me to or doesn't keep me to Just some people have bad nature. Bad attitude, arrogant, and so on. I'm allergic to arrogance. So anyway, sometimes you have people like that, and you ask yourself, why does Hashem let this guy live? Why does Hashem let this guy live? Because Hashem is using him for two reasons. Hashem uses people like this for two reasons. Number one, if someone is that wicked, 
part of the punishment could be Hashem letting them live. A long time. Why? Why let a Rasha live such a long time? Rambam, the Rambam says in Ilchot Shuvah, Hashem lets him live a long life so he can make more sins. So the punishment, the eventual punishment that comes is even worse. That's how much of an enemy of Hashem he's become. Rambam says it's the worst possible punishment you can get in this world. Where Hashem closes the Sharet Shuvah, closes the gates of heaven for Shuvah. He says, I'm going to let him live, not to, for, not to do Shuvah. He's not going to be able to do Shuvah. I don't want his Shuvah. I want him to live longer. I'm going to let him live longer. Why? To make more sins. But he's still going to use him as a tool for the Tzadikim. Why? This guy's going to give Tzadikah here and there. He's going to support a good Bekneset. He's going to support a Tamit Chacham. Unintentionally. Hashem's going to give him the reward for that mitzvah in this world. And he's going to sustain the world with this person. And let him live 90 years. But no Lamaba. So that's why sometimes you see the Shaim live a long life. It's not because Hashem doesn't see or doesn't pay attention. It's that Hashem is using them as a tool, number one, to help the tzaddikim grow. And two, to show us that what Shlomo HaMelech says, that sometimes the punishment would be a long life, or the Rambam says, sometimes a long life, in order for Hashem to punish them extra. This is both the Ecclesiastics and the Rambam. So, I'll finalize it with this in the Midrash Rabbah of Kohelet. Um, it says, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir Barnet says this also. This same Rabbi Meir that everybody wants to celebrate, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir. This is what Rabbi Meir says. Rabbi Meir is, is not, uh, he's not a uh, care bear rabbi. So Rabbi Meir says the following. This is the scariest out of all the Chidushim that I have. Rabbi Meir says, Baalanet says this. He was a talented sofer. He was a scribe. It's the Torah. And Agmara says, he used to make three sela per week. So let's say you call it $3,000 a week. Or $300 a week. Whatever you want to call it. Three sela is a unit of, uh, of money in those days. Three sela a week. One sela he would use for himself to eat and drink. One sela he would use for shelter, house, wife, house. And one sela, the last third, he would give to Avrechim. People learn Torah all day. Now the Avrechim came to him and said, Kvod Arav, what, what will be with your kids? You have kids. Why don't you give the... Okay, one selah for food and for you and your wife, no problem. One selah for shelter, no problem. But what about your kids? You have kids. Why don't you give them the last selah? Why are you giving it to us, Avrechim? It's a very normal question. Most people, they, you tell them, oh, you give maaser, you give to the guy. He goes, yeah, I give money to my kids. That's not maaser, by the way. I give money to my kids. Everybody thinks they give money to their kids. It's maser. It's taka. It's not taka. You're obligated. Until a certain age. Until they can provide for themselves. But anyway, they ask Rabbi Meir. They say, Kvodarav. Yeah, even though they're already at the age where they can sustain themselves. But still, if you have extra, why don't you give it to your kids instead of giving it to the Avrachim, giving it to us? 
So Rabbi Meir Baraness says the following. He says, If they're tzaddikim, then the verse that we say in Birkat Amazon, at the end of Birkat Amazon, the Vida Melech wrote, Na'ayiti gam zakanti v'lo'ayit zidik ne'ezav, v'zarob v'kes lachem. I've, I've been, I've been uh, young, I've been old, and I've never seen a righteous person, you know, begging, or his kids not having any food. So many words. If they're tzaddikim, Hashem will sustain them. But if they're not, why should I use my money to fund the enemies of God? If they're tzaddikim, Hashem will provide for them. I don't need to give them any money. Hashem will provide for them. If they're, reshaim, if they're not tzaddikim, why would I give money to the enemies of God? That's his words. Amakum. So he says, Midrash Rabbah. That's Rabbi Mir Baranes. So you see here, Rabbi Mir Baranes tells us things that are extraordinary. Things that we can live by, things that we can learn when... People have all the excuses in the world not to learn Torah. But you learn from this year that if you want to do the will of Hashem, Torah has to be priority, everything else secondary. And if you do that, everything else that you want, Hashem will fulfill anyway. Hashem will fulfill anyway. So tomorrow, anyone that has an excuse of, oh, I can't come and I can't learn all night because I have work, hopefully by the time you get to the end of the year, you no longer have that excuse you're trying to come up with a new excuse of what you're going to tell your boss of why you can't come in. 